All right. Um, a couple of um, questions and announcements. Um, Kelly, um, if you can, uh, Claire has an announcement. And I have a question. So I need to have a count from, uh, from those of you who may have looked at the schedule for this evening and noticed that there's a movie at 8 p.m. tonight. It's optional. You don't have to go. It's a, something to entertain you if you want to be entertained. Um, it's Bird Box, Bird Box, excuse me, Bird Box, which is a very, very popular Netflix movie um, that is a horror movie, okay? I want to be real clear, it's a horror movie. So some of you are going to be delighted. Others are going to go, ugh, I don't want to see a horror movie. But uh, Bird Box, horror <laughs> Aren't you cute? <laughs> so, um, I need a count so that we can make sure we put the film in the right location so that there's enough space. Um, so, anyone who is planning on going to the movie tonight, if you would uh, raise your hand and Kelly will get a count so we can then let you know where that is going to be located. Bird box, so, <laughs> yes, so, and are we getting a count? Yeah. Somebody's counting, okay. Keep your hands up until somebody says you can put them down. Oh, okay, you can put them down, I'm the somebody. <laughs> All right, I am somebody. <laughs> All right, and so as soon as we have determined where, um, where the movie will be, we will let you know. Um, it may not be in the room that's on the schedule, but we will let you know for sure. Okay, so it will be in the room on the schedule. Is that right, Rick? Okay, so it is in the location um, on the schedule as, I think that's, um, let's see, it's a president and it's a north. Madison North, right? <laughs> okay, so that's where the uh, bird box will be. So we're also going to have a little bit of a chat afterwards, you know, the little bit of the after talk kind of thing, nothing excruciatingly painful or anything, just to kind of talk, no problems. So it's meant to be a fun, a fun event and a, something that you can enjoy. All right, um, Claire, do you have a microphone? I do have a microphone. Okay. I feel very powerful with the microphone. <laughs> uh, um, so those um, who are going tonight before Bird Box is shown, for those of you who are in the 40 and younger group, we are doing dinner tonight. I just wanted to re-announce that for anybody who might have come in today and wasn't here yesterday. We have a group called The Next Generation, and those are for those of us who are 40 or younger. Um, we just want to hang out, get to know everybody. So tonight at 6 o'clock, we're getting dinner at a Thai restaurant called Mai Thai. We're going to have a shuttle that will take us there. So be down in the lobby at approximately 545. Look for us. Um, if you want to go yourself, we can get you the address, but it's Mai Thai, Thai food for uh, the restaurant. If you didn't let me know you were going beforehand, I've talked to most of you, let me know immediately so we can make sure we have the right count. Um, so come find me if you haven't talked to me yet. But th that's a good idea. Thank you. Uh, Nancy just suggested the great idea that if you are going to dinner tonight, 
Again, 40 and under. Um, please raise your hand right now. <laughs> yeah, let's get a count. That's right. It's 40 and under. 40 Actual at heart age. does not count. <laughs> no young at hearts. That doesn't count. Only chronological age is counted today. <laughs> okay, you can put your hands down okay. now. Thank you, everybody, for, uh, for those few couple announcements. All right. So we have an afternoon full of a lot of different activities we're going to hear about. So um, if you need to you know, get up, stretch your legs, whatever you need, go ahead. But right now we are going to move on with our agenda because we have some important presentations that we want to hear about. So um, the first one this afternoon is um, an update from um, an update on ACB's professional development program of continuing education credits. And I will introduce um, Janet Dickelman and Carla Rushville, the both of them. They will talk about um, ACB's CEU credit program for professionals. Thank you, Janet and Carla. Former teacher gets to go first. Are you going to stay there or yeah. come up here? Oh, give a mic. Okay. Okay. All right. We're going to hear from Carla first. Oh, there is a mic. Hey, Carla. She's almost here. So. Okay. Keep coming. Oh, there was a mic. Keep coming. There you go. All right. Okay. Hello again. <laughs> All right. And I have a mic in front of me too now, so I can yell at her too. Okay. But we're letting the teacher start. <laughs> Former teacher. Thank you. Once again this year, the American Council of the Blind will have uh, the opportunity for people to obtain continuing education credits at ACB's annual conference and convention in Rochester. This will be an opportunity for rehab teachers and counselors, teachers of the visually impaired, low vision therapists, orientation and mobility instructors and others to earn those credits that they need toward their certifications or if you just would like to have some extra CECs, you can do that too. The credits are offered through ACB REP and ACB is a category one provider with them. So these credits can be very helpful to you in keeping the certifications that that you have. CECs will be available for a wide range of programs, workshops, seminars, and other events pre presented by ACB and its committees, special interest affiliates, and representatives of government agencies and private industry. Subjects may include, and I say may because we're still in the process, of course, of developing all of those programs, uh, they may include transition, employment, technology, health issues, orientation and mobility, self-advocacy, braille, low vision issues, daily living skills, social skills, and much more. Programs offering continuing education credits 
will begin in Rochester on Saturday, July 6th, and continue through Wednesday, July 10. The details of programs and workshops offering CECs will be posted on the continuing education email list as the programs are confirmed. If you joined that list last year, you will still be on the list. It's just been dormant throughout the year um, since the last convention. Uh, but if you would like to sub, you can do that. Uh, and, and should, even if you're not sure if you're going to be wanting to um, have continuing education credits this year. The way to do that is to send a blank email to continuing-education-subscribe at acblists.org. That's continuing-education-subscribe at acblists.org. Pre-registration for the conference and convention opens in mid-May and it will include the ability to register for continuing education credits. Uh, last year we had you basically identified two tracks within the registration process and um, what you do is if you want those credits you indicate that at the beginning and then that takes you down the continuing education track. If you're not interested in them you just uh, don't um, check that at the beginning and you won't see any more continuing education stuff as you go along. Now, um, at the convention this year, if, if you do not sign up for continuing ed ahead and you get to the convention and decide that there's something for which you'd like a credit, you will be able to, um, you'll be able to sign up for the uh, CEC on site. We um, did do that a little bit last year, but this year it will be in the process. At the convention, um, you're responsible for several things if you are seeking CECs. You are responsible for getting to the sessions that you sign up for and getting there on time. That's very important. And you are also responsible for staying for the entire session. And, and the reason that that's important is because the presenter or the person conducting the session will give a code, a unique code, only for that session at the beginning of the session and there will be another code given at the end of the session. Those codes are, as I said, they're unique for, those, for each session and they won't be repeated halfway through for those of you that show up late. Now you say, well, what does that matter? Well, a lot. Because you are responsible for making note of those codes and for completing the questionnaire or the, or the, the form that will be emailed to you prior to the session. Following the convention, you are responsible for submitting the form including information on each session for which you're registered, and that information will include those codes. Without those codes, the CECs for that session can't be issued. You return that questionnaire or that form to ACB within 30 days, and then we in turn will send you 
the um, information, you know, send you your um, continuing ed form. Certificate. Um, certificate. Certificate, yes. So, now in addition to that, this year, um, we tried to do this last year and it, and it didn't work out for a variety of reasons. But we will be recording most CEC sessions. There'll be some that won't be, that won't be recorded, but most will be. And we are hopeful that we will also be able to offer online uh, continuing ed credits based on some of those sessions at the convention. So you know how it is at convention. You just can't get to everything. And so if there's two sessions that are opposite each other and you'd like to have continuing ed credits for them both, it might be possible for you to take one at the convention and then pick the other one up online. And we can't promise that at this time, but we are extremely hopeful that we will begin to be able to move into the online um, credits as well following the Rochester convention. Are there any questions? Hi, Carla. This is Aunt yes. Sandra. Um, can you repeat the subscriber email again? Are we what now? The email address. Oh, the, the email website. address. Okay. Uh, for the list is continuing-education-subscribe at acblists.org. And if you want more information, you can call me. I'm using this. We use the same number for the continuing ed credits that, um, for information uh, that I use for the mini mall. And that's 877-630-7190. And we also have an email address for uh, just continuing ed. It's not the list, but it is a continuing ed email. And that is continuingeducation at acb.org. I do want to say, too, that if your affiliate uh, or your committee are planning sessions um, and it, as you turn them in to Janet, uh, if you haven't talked to me about them before and when they come in, they look really good. And that happens with a lot of, of sessions last year. We actually had about 50 different sessions that were um, good, good material for continuing education. And so if we see things that look really good and that we would like to include we'll put them in there um, and that can help attendance at your sessions um, as you develop your programs if you have questions on what would make this a good continuing education session what little tweak could I do to to enhance this in order to make it meaningful not only to uh, just the individual attendee but also to a person seeking a continuing ed credit, um, feel free to give me a phone call and we can talk about it. Uh, I, I would like to see just as, as many as possible offering the um, continuing ed credits with their sessions. I think it really adds to the, the image and the, the presentation of all kinds of material at the convention. So um, please feel free to give me a phone call. I have a question. Yes. Um, this is Lisa from California. Mm -hmm. um, I'm wondering, um, I know last year, I don't think you guys offered um, CR, um, CRC continuing education credits. 
uh, CRC is the Certified Rehabilitation Counselor. Um, are you guys going to be offering that this year or in the future? If it is through ACV, REP, we will offer ACB? What ACV. V as in Victor. Oh, it's ACV, REP. Uh huh. Yes. And um, so we, we can list those specific. Um, I do believe that's included, but I it could is. be wrong. I, I, uh, okay, I didn't want to say for sure, but uh, I couldn't imagine that it wasn't. So um, it should be. Okay, anyone else? Yeah, sure. oh. Hi, Carlos, this is Maria. I'm wondering what you were describing with the online education recording possibilities uh, for the online continuing education. Does that have any effect on what would be made available via, uh, what would be recorded and made available via the ACB podcast if the affiliate paid for that service? Like, for instance, if someone wanted to get the session but uh, didn't want to receive the continuing ed, would perhaps the recording minus the codes still be made available via the ACB convention podcast? Janet, I'd be correct in saying yes, yes. wouldn't I? Okay. You would. I thought so. Yes. The answer to that is yes. Yes and yes. <laughs> any, other, any other hands? Thank you, Carla. Okay. Uh, oh, we got all right, and then I'm just going to say a couple words about that, and then I'll go on with Okay. Okay, um, sorry, I just have a question. I'm an LCSW. Do any of the CEUs um, apply for social work at this time? No. Um, no, no, I it, don't believe it does. No, it doesn't. It's it's yeah. vision and rehab. No, no, because they're all through um, the ACVREP, which is all vision related. And for those of you who don't know, ACV. ACVREP. Oh shoot! I thought I had this written. No, it's the Academy for Certification, certification for vis rehabilitation, vision, rehabilitation and Education, and education professionals. professionals. Yeah, yeah. So it's all vision related. Yes. All vision related. Thank you very much for the great team tag effort with ACVREP. I thought I had the acronym divided out, and I didn't. Carla, thank you very much. And I just want to add, I told. We, we had decided that she would do the lead and then I would do any cleanup, but I don't really have any cleanup or anything to add other than affiliates and committees. Don't think that your session isn't good enough or isn't going to apply for CECs because it very well may and think outside the box. Yeah, we had sessions like game, BRLs, Games with Ralph. Well, that's a great thing for re vision teachers to apply for CECs. The orienteering, we had a lot of um, sessions that BPI did, their health and wellness sessions. We had uh, several GDUI sessions qualified for continuing education. CCLVI traveling. So we had m numerous, as Carla said, I believe we had 53 sessions that qualified for continuing education. So if you have questions, contact Carla or contact me. Carla is kind of taking the lead on the CEC preparation as far as looking at the materials and making sure that, you know, any tweaks that we need to make, as she said, are, um, she'll take care of doing that. So don't be afraid. And when you have a snippet of an idea, if you, if, even if your programming isn't completed yet, if you don't have all your write-up, shoot a quick email to Carla, copy me on it, and we can look at it and just, you know, so that we can start preparing our CECs for Rochester. 
And that takes care of continuing education. Madam President, do you want me just to go ahead with the convention report? I think you Okay, good. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Janet Tickleman, I'm the convention coordinator. Does anybody not know? Oh, no. Um, and, oh, I have a hand of someone who doesn't know. Yeah. So. Oh, well, wonderful. Welcome, first time person. And I am the coordinator for our national convention. And as any of you who are on email and have subscribed to the convention list know, I've already been sending out a lot of information, especially about our upcoming tours in Rochester. And if you are not on the ACB convention list, it is a one-way list. You're not going to have announcements other than from me, so you're not going to get a lot of comments on the list. And at this time of year, I try to send something out once a week. As it gets a little closer to the convention, I may send out a lot of things such as menus and local businesses. So you may have a couple of days where your computer gets a little inundated with convention items. But generally, it's pretty low traffic. And I will also post information as affiliates and committees send it about what their programming is going to be. So if you've been on the list before, again, you don't need to resubscribe. If you are not on the list, it is acbconvention-subscribe at acblists, again, L-I-S-T-S, dot org. Or you can go to our website, and um, all that information is listed, acbconvention.org is starting to list a lot of information. Our registration for um, exhibitors, for advertising, for corporate sponsorship, and for convention volunteers is already live. So if anyone fits, fits any of that criteria, please go to acbconvention.org and sign up. Um, convention dates this year are July 5th through July 12th, Friday to Friday. We are in Rochester, New York, as I think you all know. Um, we are in Rochester utilizing two hotels. We are at the Hyatt Regency and the Riverside, which is, was formerly the Radisson. The two hotels are connected via convention center, or you can walk outside up to the corner, make a crossing, and go to the hotels outside, from outside, so two, two easy accesses to get to them. Um, our general sessions, our exhibits, ACB Cafe, uh, convention registration, and the tour site pickups are all going to be outside in the convention center, or in case of the tours, outside the convention center. Um, at the Hyatt, I have not determined yet for certain which affiliates and committees are going to be where. I have a tentative list at this point. Um, I am going to try, well, I'm, I'm going to make sure that programming for an affiliate or a committee, all of your programming stays in the same hotel. Hopefully the same room, unless it's, you know, various size programming, and then for space constraints I have to move things. But at this point, in alphabetical order, I know that at the Hyatt, uh, ACB families, ACB government employees, ACB Lions, BRL, and Lua will have their sessions. And that will also be the home of the executive director suite. That's where Eric will live. 
um, at the Riverside, Avia, um, AAVL, uh, BPI, and G GDUI are going to be located along with the President's Suite. And if I haven't mentioned your affiliate, I'm not ignoring you. I just haven't decided yet. If anyone has a strong opinion, you're welcome to reach out to me. I can't guarantee that I'll be able to grant your request, but I will try. Uh, also, the auction will be at the Hyatt, uh, as will the banquet. I want to do a reminder about Marketplace. Marketplace is open for affiliates, for committees, for individuals who maybe just have a little item that they want to sell but do, cannot commit to being in the exhibit hall or are just too small for the exhibit hall. It's a really good place for affiliates and committees. You can hand out your brochures, sell your t-shirts, anything but food. Sorry. Sorry, Leslie, no candy. I know you know that. <laughs> no, I know. I'm, I'm just picking on you because I bought your candy earlier today. <laughs> um, but Marketplace, you can reserve up to a table for up to two days. Marketplace will be open to all. Saturday evening is Ivy Day at Marketplace, so anyone who is involved with Ivy can work through Ivy to set up a table in Marketplace for Saturday. But for anyone else, it is open Sunday through Thursday. Contact Michael Smitherman and let him know that you would like a table. It's a two-step process. You need to contact Michael Smitherman and let him know that you would like a Marketplace table. And then you also need to call the Minneapolis office and pay for said table. Until you have paid for the table, you're not guaranteed your slot. So if you have not paid, you're not going to be on his yes list for Marketplace. Tables are $25 a day, and you can reserve up to, two t up to two days of tables. It's possible if we don't sell out all of our tables at the convention, you might be able to get another day. But um, hopefully, hopefully that won't happen, because I'd certainly like to sell out all the um, tables. And Marketplace is open from 7.30 a.m. to 10.30 a.m. and is located outside of general sessions. A uh, couple new things this year. The paper registration form. In, in the past, the online registration form and the paper registration form were exactly the same which meant that we had limited space to put down our information about what was going on at the convention, but also meant that the printed registration, uh, pre-registration form was about 95 pages. So it was very, very long and made it very cumbersome and obviously expensive. So, and we have very few requests for paper registration. I think in the past, I think last year maybe we had 20 or 30. So it's very, very few. So this year, what we have decided to do is if people request a paper, a, paper, a paper form, we will send it to them. But what it is going to be is simply a listing of each program with the day, the time, 
and the name of the program, sans descriptions. So, and it will also not have the actual registration information on it. So if someone wants to register after they've looked over their lists, they can do the registration online or they can call up and our registration cadre will do the registration for them right over the phone. So this is going to help our affiliates and our committees because they're not going to get little nasty notes from me saying, you exceeded your character limit, you have to revise this. Or I have to revise it, or I don't have to sit and have the computer count all my characters on everybody's submission and say, I meant characters, not words, people. Um, so I think this is really going to help out, but as I'm telling the affiliates, remember you're selling your session, so you don't want to make it too long that you put people to sleep while they're reading the description. So you need to make it catchy, you need to make it clever, and you need to make it concise. And you can certainly have a little fun. The other thing that is new this year, which I'm very excited about, is as we were all talking about um, membership and in our uh, breakout sessions, and um, membership perks came up. And it's, it's great to have a perk when you're a member of an organization. Do you guys agree? So here is a registration perk. Registration will open on May 22nd and close on June 23rd. From May 22nd to May 27th, registration is for ACB members only. What, no clapping? Thank you. You get something for your ACB membership. And this is going to afford our members the opportunity to be able to sign up for the highly sought after tours to be able to sign up for some of the workshops and seminars that have limited space available. available. So I think this is going to be a great perk for ACB convention attendees. Um, it's not too late. You can still apply to be a member. You can, anyone can apply to be a member of ACB at large. At large membership is $10. And if you'd like to be an at-large member, just contact the Minneapolis office and they'll be more than happy to take your money. <laughs> um, for affiliates, um, submissions for your and committees, submissions for the registration need to be in by March 31st. I'd like them much sooner than that, but March 31st is the deadline. Again, we are going to be doing telephone registration. Uh, I have working on our cadre of people to work on the telephones. I think I've got that completed now, so that's going to be great. Um, and remember, when you're doing telephone registration, our registration people work very diligently. And just so you know that I'm not a slacker, I'm up there with my convention registration cadre taking telephone registrations too as, as often as I can. And because uh, I like to kind of keep Keep on top of that too. But we may not get back to you immediately. So if you can register online, that's great. If you can't, we'll be happy to do your telephone registration. But leave us a message. Um, we always ask that you leave your time zone, which is really important because I don't know, especially with cell phones now, I have no idea where your phone number is coming from. And I don't want to call you at 3 o'clock in the morning or 11 o'clock at night. I'm willing to take registrations at those times, but I don't think you want to talk to me. 
Um, we also need to know, obviously, your name, your telephone number, as I said, your time zone, and if possible, the best time to reach you. Now, you really don't have to say, well, I'll be available Monday from 1 to 2.15, and then Tuesday night from 7 to 8 o'clock. Trust me, I've had these messages. Wednesday from 9 to 9.30. You know, morning, afternoon, or I will be home waiting for your call is, is the best response. But when you leave a message on the registration phone, it really isn't necessary to call back 15 minutes later to say you haven't gotten a call yet because I can't get to you quite that quickly. And trust me, that happens also. Um, yo, yes. Registration at convention for registration pickup will open on Thursday, July 4th from 6 to 9. And that will be for pre-registration pickup only, so you don't get to pick up your badge and your goodie bag and your tickets unless you have pre-registered. Uh, we are going to do what we did last year, which I think was really, really helpful, on that Friday and Saturday morning. Also, from, um, from 8 to 11, pre-reg pickup only, so there's no registration. Then after 11 o'clock, for the remainder of the days, uh, the remainder of the day and on Sunday through Thursday at any time, you can either pick up your pre-registration or you can register on site. Um, so that is, an, and you've all seen my information that I've been sending out about tours. Thanks to Rhonda, we have a great complement of tours. Uh, yep. We are working on uh, exhibits. We, we kind of have, this is, this is for you in New York and for other states who will have conventions in your state down the road, but there's kind of a little unwritten deal that we want to try to have a lot of exhibitors from the host state. So we have a little friendly competition and Minneapolis, Minnesota, we had eight, I believe, local vendors. Missouri beat me, which I was both thrilled and, you know, sad about, but they, I, I believe Missouri had 10 local vendors. So New York, you've got a bar. So let's see what we can do about getting a lot of local exhibitors, because that's, that's a great way for your local rehab organization or local vendors just to who sell products or jewelry or, or whatever to be in the exhibit hall and, and be recognized for the fact that they're from New York. Okay. Uh, we'll move on now. <laughs> little, little levity from the peanut gallery down there. Um, 2020 convention will be in Schaumburg, Illinois yeah. at the Renaissance, July 3rd through July 10th. Um, yeah, Schaumburg, it is a suburb of Chicago. It's, it's close in. It's, it's the home of Woodfield Mall, which it used to be the largest mall in the country until the Mall of America was built in Minnesota. 
so there's a lot to do close to the hotel and then of course we can do all of our tours and a lot of things going into the city and in, into other areas and we have two two airports to yes yeah, it's near O'Hare for anyone who for some reason chooses to fly into Midway you can do that also but it will be a trek but it's close to O'Hare so that's going to be that's going to be very nice um, does anyone have any questions of me regarding the convention questions no. not one keep hand going, is up oh. okay all right well, you want me to do this all right i usually wait till the convention but i'll do it all right all right 2021 is going to be at the hyatt in phoenix arizona and we're 2021 is it's going to be a little different because the dates that we worked out with the, in arizona and that board and I approved is going to be the end of July so it's not going to be over the 4th of July but I think that's going to be really good for vendors because we're not going to be competing yep so that's going to <laughs> that's going to be July 23rd to July 30th so um, that's that's where we are thus far and um, any any questions or still no hands no hand? Wow, does that mean I did a good job? Or does that mean everybody was asleep? Of course you did a good job. Okay. <laughs> thank you. Thank All you. right. Thank you, Janet. All right. Somebody left their M&Ms and notes up here. Oh, sorry. Nancy's notes, Nancy's M&Ms. <laughs> Sheesh, I was getting excited here. They might be for left for me. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Janet. Thank you. Thank you. All right, I'm going to um, turn the podium over to Nancy, and she's going to talk to you about things you need to know, being an affiliate leader that you have to make sure happen. Otherwise, guess what? You're not going to be real happy people because there's going to be lots of headaches. So she's going to keep you away from the headaches, so you'll, you'll save money, you won't have to buy a leave, and you'll feel much better. <laughs> Nancy. Oh, okay. We're we're putting Janet back together again and <laughs> Okay. Okay. There she is. I, I think Kim puts me here cuz she wants me to get everybody back on time here, so Okay, you guys. I don't want anybody sleeping here. Okay. Every one of you most likely is an officer or holds a significant role in your state or special interest affiliate. <laughs> your role is important because not only are you a leader, you also need to be sure your documents are organized and they are followed. To be organized as a state or special interest affiliate, there are several documents that you need to have access to and make sure they are followed when conducting business. One is the Articles of Incorporation. This document will have your affiliate's legal name, location, its purpose, and the initial directors on it. Once filed, the Articles of Incorporation becomes part of public records and can usually be obtained from your state agency if you don't have this document. Another important one is the Constitution and bylaws. Your Constitution covers the fundamental principles of your affiliate and the bylaws provides the procedures your affiliate must follow to conduct business. 
The Constitution governs the conduct of your affiliate and provides a better understanding of what the organization is all about and how it functions. The Articles of, the articles of the Constitution provide the name of your affiliate, its purpose, membership rules, the structure of your organization, and meeting guidelines. The organizational information provides details on its structure, the officers, elections, terms of office, powers, and governing rules. Bylaws will set forth in detail the procedures your group must follow to conduct business in an orderly manner. The bylaws provide membership information, dues, duties of the officers, structure and power of the executive board, committees, and amendment procedures. The Constitution and bylaws should always be followed. If no one has access to them, then no one will know if the proper procedures are being followed. You should also have an IRS determination letter certifying that you are a 501c3. The tax-exempt documentation verifies that your affiliate doesn't need to pay federal taxes. State registration. Besides registering with the federal government, you also need to register with your affiliate with, this, with a state agency. State agencies go by the names of the Secretary of State, Office of the Attorney General, the Corporate Commission, and the Department of Consumer and Regulatory Affairs. You should be able to search your state website to find out if you are registered. Your affiliate does need insurance to protect your members, directors, officers, and volunteers from potential claims and lawsuits. I know I talk about this every year, but this is something that you really do need. This is important because if someone is attending an affiliate meeting, is at your state convention or another affiliate event and there's an accident, your affiliate could be held liable. Each officer should have signed a conflict of interest and confidentiality statement. Confidentiality statements should be signed by new officers or board members and the conflict of interest statement should be signed by each officer every year. The state and special interest affiliate president should look at the bylaws to help delegate responsibilities to your officers. Just because you're president does not mean you need to do everything. A leader can't do all this alone, so it is important for those holding officer positions to know what their role is. There should be two signers on the bank account. At least two people should be signers on the bank account and someone other than the person who writes the check should be reviewing the bank statements every month. If there is only one signer and something happens to this person, banks will not just let you change signers on the account. It will require significant documentation to make this happen and can take months. So this isn't something that you want to just trust that your treasurer has two signers you actually need to check and have verification that you have two signers. Every single year, we get someone calling our office and they'll say, we thought there were two signers and that treasurer resigned and there is nobody to sign checks. Can you imagine how you can conduct business or pay people when no one has access to the account? And you, and the other thing I'd like to say is, you know what, 
Susie is a treasure. We trust her, so we don't want to ask questions. In today's day and age, you can't just trust that Susie is doing what she's supposed to be doing. I, had a, I, have, I have an example when I was helping um, an organization out, and they had a little fundraiser, and the person in charge came to me and said, we've had people, um, um, here's the money from the event, and there's $4,000 here. Can you count it again and put it in the bank? I counted it, and it was $200 off. And when that person who asked me to count the money came in, I said, it's $200 off. And he looked at me like it was short. If it had been short, he would have been looking at me for what happened with that $200. Lucky for me, we were $200 over. So you really need to get two signers on your count. And if you guys are having an event too, there should always be two people in there counting cash, not one. One person shouldn't take it home to their house and then come back at a later date. It should be all counted when the event is done. Okay. Someone should be designated to complete the 990 or 990N each year. If this isn't done for three years in a row, your affiliate will lose their tax-exempt status. The president needs to verify that this has been completed and the confirmation paper should be saved somewhere where it will be accessible. It shouldn't be saved on someone's personal desktop or their computer where future presidents won't have access to it. When officers of your state or special interest affiliate change, please provide ACB's national office with up-to-date affiliate information so we can update our website information. This past year, our Minneapolis office was trying to correspond with an affiliate president and this person's email and phone number on record wasn't being used any longer. It took us four months to contact that person and that person said, oh, I don't use that. So the other thing that will happen is that we are then giving individuals who call our offices looking for resources inaccurate information and the person looking for help, could be a potential member, gets frustrated and may just give up. It is also important to create a timeline so you know when to start the budgeting process for the following year, when to hold elections, and to start planning your fundraisers. Um, AMMS can help you with staying connected with your current and past members. We need you to put everyone's phone numbers, email addresses, and the chapter they belong to in AMMS. Then you can download this information and use it to send out chapter and affiliate meeting notices, newsletters, and any information that is important to our community. This information will also help us stay connected with your members. I would like you to know that the chapter each member belongs to in, that you put in AMMS isn't stored in our, national data, in, in, our national, in our ACB's database. It is just for your purposes only and it's for certifying. Um, the, certifi the certification process can be stressful for those trying to gather member information, collecting dues, and making sure the information they're providing to our offices is correct. The information provided during the certification process determines how many votes your state or special interest affiliate receives at the convention. We also need your help to pass on dues notices that are emailed to the president's 
to the treasurer and the AMMS users. The AMMS users need to verify that the number of certified members our offices have on record matches what they have. And the treasurers need this information so they know how much money to send to our financial office. So I would like to close with this. Everyone is here to help advocate for ourselves and it is important for the chapters, state, and special interest affiliates to know what the national office is doing to help them and we also need a way to reach out to our members. So please make sure you're providing us with up-to-date email and mailing addresses. Also know that we are available to help you with your organizational documents if you need help. Do I have any questions or are you guys all sleeping? Just a second. I'm 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 running and I'm actually answering. Here you go, David. The information you gave us today is great, and I know we've all heard it before. Is is that in the document that we did a few years ago called Keeping Your Affiliate Legal? And if it is, how can we go about getting a copy of it or your updated remarks today? Okay. Some of it is in that document. Some of it is new. Um, what I can do is I can take what I have done today and I can email it out to all the president's email lists. Okay? I think I saw another hand. Nancy, um, this is Sheila. The um, one question or one statement that you made about the, I can't remember if it was the conflict of interest, of interest signed by officers. I thought the entire board had to sign it. All the board members should, yes. Okay, thank you guys for your time. I will try and get all that stuff together and get it emailed out to you. You're welcome. Thank you, Nancy. The M&Ms are still here, so. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, they're not anymore. <laughs> Are these yours too? Okay. <laughs> um, the uh, David mentioned the keeping your affiliate healthy document. I keep that really close at hand at my house in my office. So Nancy, if you can share that one again from a couple years ago. I think it was really good, and I think your remarks today were excellent. So they're good guidelines, and um, this is the kind of stuff, you know, we can ask each other. This is what we need to support each other on. Um, I don't think there's probably any feeling more shaky than becoming a new affiliate president and wondering, what in the heck do I need to do next? What if I miss something? What if I forget to file a form and we lose our tax-exempt status? There's, there's a lot of things to remember, plus all the stuff that you got to do it, you know, every day. So this is one way to have a little bit of a, a guideline and a template to follow. It helps you know what you need to focus on. So um, thank you, Nancy, for sharing all that information. Now I want to recognize um, two ladies who are here to talk to you about the Derwood K. McDaniel First Timers Program and the Leadership Fellows Awards for um, 2019.
um, Zelda Gebhardt um, from North Dakota and Cindy LeBon from Maryland. Thank you, ladies. Zelda? I'm Cindy first. Okay. That's okay. I'll let you go. Okay. I'm pretty short. Where's the. Oh, good. You're short. So am I. Okay. I would like to announce there is a missing Snickers. Sorry, Leslie. But, you know, I actually, I do believe I found a couple of dogs who are guilty. That was the one bar I wanted. So I will be back. Don't tell all the Snickers. So, DKM as your another set of letters. Okay, well, Derwood K. McDaniel is the father, as everybody, most of us know of ACB. He was a very highly motivated individual who, okay, sorry, okay. Um, oh, okay, thank you. He's a highly, he mentored many leaders of this organization. And for that purpose and that reason, we have the Derwood K. Annual award which will be presented to two individuals one from the east of the Mississippi one from the west of the Mississippi so if you don't know where you live by geography ask the person sitting next to you okay okay we okay we are our committee is encouraging anyone who has never attended a previous ACB convention this year in Rochester New York to please apply Teresa Brenner I didn't say that I met, a, I met a lady this morning in the hallway, and she was telling me everything she's done in her chapter in state, and I went, you must apply. And in 20 years, she's never been to a convention. So if that is you, Teresa Brenner, so if you are blind over the age of 18, including those under 40, uh, <laughs> and... And over 40. And if you are good standing at ACB you've ne and member and you've never attended a, pre a previous convention, we really encourage you to apply. Now, what do you do? You must submit an application, which is a letter form, telling us everything about you. You must tell us why you're applying for the award, a brief summary of your education. We are not looking necessarily for a PhD. If you have one, we'll take it. But it, we're not looking for the most educated individual in an ACB or anywhere else. Um, experience related to the applicant's community service. Sig significance, well, now, okay. Significance to the first timers award on, on uh, career development, anything you have done throughout ACB. Now, state presidents, affiliate presidents will also submit a letter on your behalf. Okay, so there's two couple of documents. That must show the leadership contributions and your potential within your affiliate. Now, the most probably difficult part, according to those who have applied, is you must undergo a 30-minute interview with a team of uh, committee members. And somebody told me they were so petrified and so scared she could hardly talk. And I say, you know, this is not an interrogation. We're just going to talk to you about what you've done, what you see in your future through ACB. And there's no, re I felt so bad for that individual. So it, don't feel intimidated by any of this. We really want you to apply. So, what, 
what you get if you are one of the selected members is um, your round trip transportation, double, double occupancy in your room. That means we are not paying for the other half. They must pay. If there is nobody we can for you, we will find somebody for you, okay? So um, don't think you can apply because you're not going to get a roommate. That isn't true. Um, your hotel accommodations, pre-dam pre allowance for activities and meals. Unfortunately, we will not cover the, um, if you choose to go to Niagara Falls, we're not paying. Okay, only thing we're going to cover is the DKM reception, which this year the theme is Field of Dreams and, bank and the banquet. So the general convention reservation fee and any activities determined by the board of directors, officers, and the committee, such as the um, keys to the convention you must attend. Um, you must attend uh, several. They, they haven't all been determined yet, but there will be several that you must attend throughout the week. Okay? So, um, if you choose to go to any of the other activities or fun things to do, that's out of your pocket. So, beginning, this begins, you must be there on Friday, July the 5th, and can't end because you will need to be available on Saturday the 6th to attend the uh, keys to the convention and any other chosen uh, activities or meetings. And you can depart on the 6th, which is the day, oh no, I'm sorry, that's the next day, the 12th. Well, <laughs> that sounds pretty good. And you must, you must attend each day's general session, which the opening ceremonies are on the 6th, that Saturday evening, Sunday through Wednesday morning, and all day on Thursday. So you must be available and you must, okay. So um, your, your applications must be submitted by April the 3rd. That means the letter from the president and who can also send in your application must be submitted by April the 3rd. Okay, and it goes to Kelly. God love Kelly, our liaison at K-G-A-S-Q-U-E at acb.org. And all of this information is on the January Braille form for your information, okay? So you can go in there and read all of this too. Incomplete applications will not be considered. So if we get your letter but not your president's letter, I'm sorry, and vice versa. We will select, the committee will select all, the both winners by the end of April after we complete our um, interrogation, no, I mean our interviews. <laughs> and <laughs> so, and so I just, okay, and then shortly after that, you'd be notified, okay? So, now, last year, we didn't even have anybody from the East. So we selected two from, not last year, two years ago, we didn't have anybody from the East, so we selected two from the West. So, um, we, do, we do reserve the right to select any specified winners as long as, or select, as long as if there's nobody from the East that qualifies, we'll select two from the West. And vice, yeah, and vice versa, only because I'm from the East. <laughs> uh, 
and vice versa. <laughs> that was Zelda goes and vice versa. So I want to thank, I was trying to hurry because of the time constraints. So anyway, I uh, want to thank everybody. We're going to look forward to your first timers application, and we hope we get a whole lot of them. And we have a wonderful committee. We have Anthony Ackerman from Hawaii, Marja Byers from Oregon, Zelda Gebhardt from North Dakota, um, Betsy Grenovich from Georgia, Frank Ventura from Massachusetts, myself, and Kenneth Simeon, who has been a wonderful committee chair. So thank you. All right. Good afternoon. Let's try it one more time, guys. Good afternoon. <laughs> All right. This is Zelda, and it's been my privilege to be a part of the DKM First Timers Committee for the last five years. And it really is a wonderful, wonderful job because, as, as Cindy just mentioned, we get the opportunity to, to talk. Now, I wouldn't say it's an interv interview or an interrogation. We get to talk to leaders from all across our United States. And um, it's, it's a really a privilege to do that. Um, not only do we get to do, as, as Cindy told you, um, pick somebody from the East and somebody from the West for the DKM Award, the last five, four years, sorry, um, we've been given the responsibility and the privilege to select uh, individuals to, for the ACB J.P. Morgan Chase Fellowship Awards. All right, now I want you to clap if you've ever been a first timer. All right, so we've got some leaders here. This is what we're doing. This is the purpose of this, is to build leaders and to encourage leaders to participate. Um, if you've ever been a J.P. Morgan Chase Leadership Fellow uh, a recipient to the convention, please clap. All right, we've got lots of leaders. And like I said, this is, this is why this is so important for you as affiliate presidents and leaders of your affiliate to not only consider these awards for yourself, but go home and encourage those around you. Um, they are our future, no matter what their age, they are our future. and. We need all the leaders we can get. So um, I thank Cindy for going ahead of me. She did a lot of the housekeeping stuff, and I'm not going to repeat what she said. The only qualification that is not the same for the ACB J.P. Morgan Chase Leadership Fellows is the fact that you could have been to the convention 30 times, and you'd still qualify. You do not have to be a first-timer. So it's for those who have been, never been there, or you can, you can apply if you've never been to a convention or if you've been to multiple conventions. So that's the only difference between. Uh, Cindy acknowledged our chairman, Kenneth Simeon, and you're used to listening to him. Um, and unfortunately, he wasn't able to be here, so Cindy and I got uh, delegated for that position. <laughs> so thank you for listening to us. All right. I do, I do want to just add, 
um, before I finish, a couple of little things. I'm going to read a fact, and if, if you know who I'm talking about, raise your hand, all right? Got to find my place in my notes here. This lead, uh, 2018 Leadership Fellow said, I was truly inspired to take a bigger role in ACB on a national level. Does anybody know who that's about? Okay, don't say, don't say. <laughs> well, I, I guess I wasn't real clear on my instructions. <laughs> if you didn't happen to know, okay, okay, who, who was the 2018 Leadership Fellow? Yeah, raise your hand. <laughs> I didn't get to that part. <laughs> okay, and then going on to say, first, I was nominated and elected to the RSVA board. Now, that clue, if you didn't hear the answer. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> okay, and then he goes on to say, and there's, there's a, okay, then I was nominated and elected to the American Council of the Blind Board. Yeah. Yeah, you know who that was. That was Michael Talley, and he's here in this room. Yeah. <laughs> So we do encourage leadership, and he was encouraged, he was there, and he stepped right into the role. That's the very best outcome we can think of. One more quote from a J.P. Morgan Chase leadership fellow, and um, this is from, whoops, I got to turn my page. When I'm quoting, I like to read it directly. <laughs> Don't want to paraphrase. Whether you would be a first-timer or a repeat attender. Now, I didn't say offender. I said attender. <laughs> uh, I strongly encourage you to consider attending an ACB convention and conference. It will make a difference in your life, and you may learn something that will help you make a difference to someone else. And that was a quote from um, Darian Fleming, Slate, Slayton Fleming? Okay. All right, so we encourage you all to apply or find somebody else to apply. We want to see those applications rolling in because we love to do that interview process. So thank you for listening to us. and. Get those applications in to Kelly Gask again, and um, then she gets them out to us. So thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Zelda and Cindy, for um, summarizing so nicely all the requirements for those two programs that are really wonderful. And, and it really, they do make a difference. And you heard that. There's people in this room that have have really um, taken major leaps forward. I just want to shout out one other person who um, was a leadership fellow a, few, a couple years ago, Deb Lewis. Um, and uh, she decided that she was going to run for the Board of Publications. That, and she did. And she serves on that board because she said, I, I'm going to do something. So she's definitely doing something now, making a difference. So 
there's a lot of opportunities. So I just took a look at our next group of folks and I said, Donna Brown and her guys. That's what this is, right? This, this is Donna Brown and the guys that are oh, the, the merry men. Yes, I guess so. So I'm going to turn it over to them. They seem to have it all organized up here, and they can take it away. So who's first? Dan. Okay, Dan Spoon is first. All right. All right. All right. Ooh, raise it up. Yeah, way up. Okay, guy. Okay. Good afternoon, everyone. First, I, in, in honor of Don, I'm going to introduce uh, one other woman who's very uh, important in, in my life, I know, and that is uh, Leslie Spoon, who's going to say just a quick word about the summer auction before we get going on the, the panel here. So, Leslie, you'll have to get a mic. Okay. There you go. We'll so, get you a mic. Oh, you so, got, got a thank mic. you, Dan. <laughs> um, I just want to say real quickly that the auction is coming up, and it's near and dear to everyone's heart. So... The committee will be reaching out soon and just, you know, go back to your affiliates, see what you can give. We love everything and anything. Don't be shy. Uh, the deadline is June 1st for descriptions to Cindy Van Winkle. Cindy Van Winkle and I are co-chairs this year. Uh, wonderful committee, doing a great job. And June 15th is, um, if you'd like to send it to me, you can mail it to me. My address is in the Braille forum um, with an article that Jeff Tom wrote. So. June 1st, these are, these are good deadlines, so remember these. June 1st, descriptions. June 15th, you can mail me items. If you want to bring them to the um, convention, that's perfectly fine. I will pick them up at the information desk. Just let us know, and just know that we'll be calling the affiliates, so get ready for our lovely phone calls. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Leslie. The reason we had Leslie go on first, her and a couple of her colleagues are going to be walking out the room handing out goodies from the uh, RDC so don't go anywhere we've got we've got chocolate we've got other items and everybody who's sitting in a seat's gonna get one right now right Leslie all right <laughs> the RDC because of all of you from because of the members and affiliates and what you all have been able to contribute this year the RDC and its fellow programs have raised we, it, and, uh, and I have to tell you, our CFO was surprised when she gave me this number. But our, our affiliates and, and all our efforts from the RDC have raised $286,000 this year for the American Council of the Blind. So that's our walks, our auctions, the MMS program, Giving Tuesday, the mini mall. All of this stuff really adds up. And it... It accounts for 17% of our budget, so a pretty significant percent. So thank you all. Thank you for all of your hard work. And with that said, I'm going to introduce our, our leadoff uh, our, our lead hitter, and she's got her own walk-up song. Let me introduce to you our Brenda Dillon, ACB Brenda Dillon Memorial Walk co-chair, Donna Brown. Not spreading the news. We're walking today. Rochester's all excited about the 100K. Be tying your shoes. Get off of your dust. 
is on good um, I am not going to sing uh, I left that up to the music uh, director at the West Virginia School for the Blind Josh Haza but I want everyone to know that Dan Dillon and Beth Corley had a lot of input into that song so thank you to everyone who helped to write that song uh, so um, hold on my note taker went to sleep all right uh, first, before I say anything else, I, I really want to thank everyone who had some part in the 2018 very successful ACB Brenda Dilla Memorial Walk. All, everyone together raised over $93,000 for ACB and its affiliates. Give yourselves a hand because there's a lot of people in this room that had played a part in that. Okay, so now, how can we top that? Well, here we go. So the 2019 walk theme, as you might have picked up in, in that song, sometimes when you're listening to a song, it's hard to pick up on all the words, but our walk theme is 100K photo finish. Finish, sorry. You will be getting a $100,000 bar if you haven't gotten that yet. Now, now relax, relax. <laughs> And you will also be getting a keychain, key ring with a sneaker on that has actually the laces, like you heard about in, in the song, lace up your shoes and all that good stuff. Um, but the photo finish part comes from, you know, Rochester was kind of known, uh, that's where Kodak was from and, you know, was started. So anyway, 100K photo finish. So guess what our fundraising goal is this year? It's only $100,000. That's it. <laughs> Mm. Come, you guys just don't sound excited enough. I, they, they might need that candy bar, like, real soon. <laughs> okay, that's for somebody else to tell you about the other keychain, okay? That, that's not me. <laughs> it, yeah, they, they'll tell you. Uh, that, that's, that's in another presentation. But they, they'll tell you. Just be patient. Okay, so this year, once again, the really cool thing is... Um, Affiliates can create walk teams, and they can, as in the past, designate up to 50% of the monies they raise to go back to that affiliate. So I want to really give a couple of examples of how huge that has been and how cool that has been for affiliates. Uh, this, this figure just amazes me, but in 2018, and Forgive me if I'm a little bit wrong, but I know I'm pretty close to being right. Um, the Florida affiliate, they were the Florida Hurricanes, but the Florida Council of the Blind, they raised over, altogether, over $25,000. So guess what that meant? They got a check for over $12,500. Now, a lot of, we could do a lot with that, couldn't we? 
Yeah. So, but you know what? Some of you, I'm sure, are sitting there saying, well, Florida's a really big affiliate. And, and they are. And they're an awesome affiliate, though. But you know what? Then there's those little affiliates. And, and I'm just going to mention my affiliate because it's small. The Mountain State Council of the Blind. Um, it's really small. But you know what? We raised um, $3,700, which meant we got a check, which was huge for us, $1,850. But what I really want to share with you, because um, I'm really excited to write my walk letter this year, I, I just want to tell you what we in Mountain State Council did with that. And it might give affiliates an, an incentive or some ideas of what they can do with theirs. We, um, from here on out, because we've done pretty well with the walk o over the last few years, we voted that every year, 20% of what we raise from the walk will go into our scholarship fund. That meant $370 this year. Doesn't sound like a lot, but it is. And then another 20% goes into a technology grant fund. And then the other 60% goes into our treasury. But even better, what we did this year was paid for every banquet attendee. We paid for their banquet ticket at our convention with that walk money. Now that's pretty good. But we also paid two nights lodging for um, a new or prospective member, and it was a prospective member at the time this year, and he is now becoming a very active member. Uh, so those are just some things that you can do with a little bit of money. And you know what? Not a whole lot of work. Okay, so quickly, because I know time's short, and I'm sorry, but, uh, you know, uh, it's my turn. <laughs> <laughs> So, so <laughs> there was a, a lot of new affiliate walk teams last year, and that is great. I mean, the walk committee was so excited that, that there was new people, new enthusiasm. And, you know, those walk teams really did well. Um, so maybe they didn't raise $25,000. Maybe they didn't re raise $3,000. That's okay. We all started somewhere. Um, so we're hoping those affiliates will once again have teams, and then there will be some new ones. There's some new energy in this room. There's a lot of young people. Young people have more energy than we old people. So you should be out there walking and, you know, doing all this stuff. So um, remember, again, up to 50% of the money you raise can go back to your affiliate and can help people in, in your state. So how can you get involved? So walk team or people can sign up their team and they, they can be the team captain. Um, I, I want to go on to say right now, so I don't forget, right now the walk site is, is being creative. We, we've created. We had to find a new platform, I guess you could say. So, Nancy Becker, where are you? Oh, dear. Now, that's going to be hard to find you. But she says that she will sign up walk teams today. Um, you can give her the information, your team name, and you know, uh, various, uh, sh she'll tell you what she needs to know. And then as soon as the site is, is up, you know, she'll work with you and w we'll work with you to get everything, you know, the way you want it and, and all that good stuff. But, um, so, you know, we can kind of get the ball rolling and it should be ready real soon, so don't, don't panic. Um, so after you register your team or sign up your team, then everyone, whether they're going to be a team captain or, you know, whatever they're going to be, they only pay $25 to register for the walk. Now, what, what, you know, where can you get anything for $25 now? But, you know, you're signing up for a walk. Um, 
So after you register, then what should you do? Okay. You know, and, and some people say, well, I'm not going to the convention, so how can I do the walk? Well, that doesn't really matter. So you can register as a virtual walker. And virtual walker means, you know, everything's virtual now. So a virtual walker means you can walk anytime, anywhere. You know, and, and even if you are coming to the convention and you have another commitment at that time, like going to Cooperstown, <laughs> um, that, that's a little hard for me to, to anyway. Um, so, but you can still sign up as a virtual walk and we encourage you to do that. Um, now, what can you do after you've signed up for as, as a walker? Start raising money. And it's really pretty simple. And the walk committee is willing to help you in, in any way that we can. Quickly, I just want to show, share what I do. Um, I just, I create a letter which includes First, if it's a, a, a person who has donated before, I make sure I begin my letter by thanking them for sponsoring me. I mean, I thank them after they do it, but I thank them again uh, on my new letter, um, hoping, no, 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 thank it, because I mean, we certainly appreciate everyone who, who donates. Um, and you can't thank people enough. So um, after I you know, thank them, um, then I, I tell a little bit of, of ACB, uh, Mountain State Council of the Blind, our missions, um, a few of our maybe legislative issues and, and things like that. I, I don't make it real long because people aren't going to run and read a whole lot, but I try to make sure everything's in there. Of course, this year I'm going to get to include some of the things that Mountain State Council did with, with the money that people donated. Um, so then I, I um, also uh, share with them what our team or, or my fundraising goal is. And then I give them, you know, just uh, the link and of, of where to go to. Now, those who don't have email, because, you know, there still are people who don't have email, um, I just print out a paper form and either hand that to them or mail that to them. And there still are people that I contact by phone. So it really, and I contact everybody I know. Uh, I mean, it's uh, coworkers, people from church, Lions Club members, uh, just friends that I've met and they're not always even like real close friends. I just ask everybody and it, well, in some cases they were strangers, yes. <laughs> right. So, um, you know, and the, and the thing is people can either say no or just I ignore you, but you know what? Most people don't. Um, I, I try every year to see if I can outdo not, not only the amount of money but the number of sponsors I got. So anyway, um, those are just some ideas. If you at any time, I mean, my name and phone number, contact information is like blast, or plastered everywhere. Um, don't hesitate to contact me. Somebody last year, and it really made me feel good, contacted and said, will you help me make a donation for the walk for my team? And, and I did. And, and I, I mean, I was like, that's what I'm here for. This is great. And she kept, you know, she wanted to treat me to lunch. I'm like, no, and, you know. Uh, so, go see Nancy, um, sign up your team. Oh, oh, she says not yet. Oh, okay, well, she'll, she'll tell you when. $100,000 Oh, okay, I thought somebody else was doing with that. Um, so, all of us in here, we need to lace up our shoes, get off our duffs, and support ACB in a fun way, 
and, and just an, an easy way to raise money for ACB and our affiliates. Start spreading the news. We're walking today. So start spreading the news. Rochester's all excited about the 100K. Be tying your shoes. Get off of your dough. We'll make a photo finish by strutting our stuff. Thank you, Donna. I have to give one quick shout out to our president, Kim Charleston. You know, she's had a walk team for a few years, but last year she said, Dan, I am just going for it. I am going to mail the email to everybody I've got in my email. And she kept calling me, Dan, I got 100. I got 500. I'm over 1,000. Then she called me and said, I just had somebody who said they would match the first $5,000 that I raised. The president's team of Kim and Brian ended up raising over $10,000 last year. See? Right, Kim? Yeah. All right. All right. Did everybody get their bar and their tennis shoe? All right. No, not yet. We're getting close. Okay, hold up your hand if you didn't get one yet. All right. Next, we're going to keep on moving. Monthly monetary support program. Uh, Mike Godino is our subcommittee chair. He couldn't be here today, but we have a brand new member of our committee that's doing a fantastic job. And he's here to tell you about the MMS program and the new campaign we've got going. Let's introduce Mr. Michael Garrett. Good afternoon, everybody. Now, now I'm here to talk about the MMS program. And most of us, you've already heard some numbers. And I've got some shocking news for you and some exciting news. But before we get to that, let's talk about the MMS program. As, as, as Dan has said, it is the monthly monetary support program. What that means is that it is our individual opportunity to support the work of ACB. Did any of you see Eric's end of the year wrap up of oh, yeah. 2018? <laughs> All of the activities that took place. Now let me ask you a question. Um, does anybody in here believe in the work of ACB? Oh yeah. Let me ask you another question. Is there anybody in here who has benefited from the work of ACB? Oh. Very good. So then you know the importance of, of what ACB does in our lives. And so we have a chance now to support the work and the activities of ACB through the 
monthly monetary support program. But it's not only just us. It, it's, not, it's not specific to just us. We can do it, but we can also invite our friends, families, organizations, or as somebody said a while ago, strangers, if they want, <laughs> <laughs> they can also make a monthly contribution to support the work of ACB. Now, as in other, other ways we support ACB, the incentive is also that a part of your contribution can also go back to your affiliate. Now, I, I, hear, I hear the questions out there, but uh, some people want, have, want to uh, contribute to their local chapter. We're not there yet. We're not there yet. When we uh, get our huge amounts of funds that we're going to raise, <laughs> we're going to hire enough people who can take care of all that extra book work, right? <laughs> but there is that incentive that your state affiliate can also uh, benefit from participating in the MMS program. Now, let's move on to some of the, the news. But before we get to that, <laughs> let, me, let, let me ask you a question. Um, would you say, would you agree with me that numbers can tell a story? Would you also agree with me that there is power in numbers? Okay, good. Well, this news was shocking to me. So I hope it's amazing to you. So when we did our Urian review, we found out that there were 266 participants in the MMS program. But, do you realize that those 266 participants raised over $98,000? Power in numbers. So with that in mind, our committee decided to launch a new campaign. And we are entitling it the 3-2 one campaign. Oh, I don't see anything. That's the exciting news, guys. <laughs> it's the three, two, one campaign for... If, so if 266 participants can raise over $98,000, just think of what 321 participants can raise. That's just our goal. That's this year's goal of, rate of having 321 participants in the MMS program. And as always, at convention, we have incentives. There will be a number of, of, of prizes, daily prizes. Um, I can't tell you what all there's going to be because there's going to be several. And we have two, what I think, big catches, there will be an Amazon Echo second generation device. Everybody knows Alexa, right? 
well, this is the second generation. And our, our grand prize will be, and, and David, I'm sure, will correct me if, when I, get this, if I say this wrong, but a 43-inch Toshiba Fire TV. Fire enabled, he said. I knew he would correct me. <laughs> he is. And, and so what happens if we get new members to the MMS program, or if you raise your current contribution, your name will be entered into the drawing, and you will be eligible for either those daily gifts or the two grand prizes. So, I know everybody's ready and willing and able to, uh, to, to enter into the uh, MMS program. And so, um, I guess I won't put Nancy to work right now, but she can take, she can take your, your information. Uh, if, if not, call the, call the office, 612-332-3242. And they'll be glad to take your information and sign you up for the MMS program. So what we want to do now, I've got to get you guys excited. You've got to be excited about this. Three, two, one. Think of the power in that. Three, two, one. Think about it. Come on. Say it with me. Three, Three two, two, one. Three, two, one. One more time. Three, two, one. Three, two, one. Ignition. Everybody has a sh shuttle rocket on their table for the countdown launch off of the MMS Pro. The final countdown. Well Thank you, done, everybody. Michael Garrett. Michael, what was it that you said? What were those numbers? Three, two, one. Oh, thank you, Michael. Appreciate it. Next, we're going to move on to Dan Dillon, who's going to talk to us about angels. What a segue there. <laughs> so, oh, David's after you. Yeah. Okay. Okay. You ready? Yeah. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you, Dan. Good afternoon, everyone. We, we come to the, uh, the bittersweet portion of the RDC uh, report. Bitter because I'm talking about members who have passed on. Sweet because through the uh, ACB Angel Program, we can recognize these people and we can keep their memory alive. Uh, most of you know about the Angels uh, program, the, but those of you who don't, I'm going to tell you briefly what it is. And um, we recognize people that have passed away who have contributed, uh, contributed a great deal to ACB. And uh, <clears throat> we ask that um, whether it's an affiliate or an individual, that you uh, raise $500 that you donate to ACB. And you can, affiliates go in together, it can be individuals, uh, whatever way you want to raise the $500, and 
that's the minimum of $500. We've had some of our well-known and respected uh, members who have been with ACB for many years raise around $2,000. Um, so uh, $500 minimum, and what you get in return, the recipient, the angel, gets their own web page, a bio, and a picture. And then they get their name placed on the angel wall. We, we, we provide them with a plaque, four inches by 12 inches, raised print on the top. Along the bottom is Braille, and it states their name and the date that they passed. So if, and I have here a list of potential angels. I just want to remind those affiliates who are talking about making one of their members an angel to uh, I want to tell them that the deadline for getting the money in and uh, actually the I believe the the bio and the picture is April 30th contact Tom Tobin T Tobin T O B I N at acb.org and I'm I'm going to uh, run through this list real fast uh, near uh, I've done some research and to this date it looks like we've got six new angels where the money has been raised, not necessarily sent into the office yet, but raised. So we got a potential um, angel from New York, Jan Janet Wettenstein, and this angel has been confirmed from Indiana, Edie Huffman. They're working on an angel for Edith Carter in Tennessee. They're working on an, an angel for Sharon Booker in Arizona and in uh, Washington for Marlena Lieberg. They have uh, made Sue Amateur an, an angel. They have raised the money for Sue. Uh, they're working on an angel in uh, New Jersey, Lauren Casey. And <clears throat> they have raised the money. I don't think it's been sent in yet, but they've raised the money for Carolyn Kobe in Minnesota, and of course uh, Mer um, MJ Schmidt from Illinois and New York. She's an official angel. And I learned today that um, Al Gill, I think from California, yep. is an official angel. And James Dago, does anybody know where he's from? Thank you, thank you. James Dago from Louisiana. And I believe that's my report. If, if there are any questions, thank you all. Question? Just a second. John Dashney. Oh, yeah. Thank you, James. Good. John Dashney. We have two questions in the back of the room. Two questions. Okay. Hi, it's Charlie Crawford. Hey, Charlie. Hey. When you say um, they're working on an angel from Washington State for Marlena, yes. Um, so does it have to be money from Washington, or can we contribute? No, no. Anybody? No, that's another thing. Well, as I mentioned earlier in the report, uh, the well-known uh, uh, people that have a lot of friends that have passed away, um, uh, they've raised a lot more money than the 500 uh, minimum, and that can come from anywhere, anybody, anywhere. Once they hear of one, 
So you guys, it, the, the 500 does not need to come into our office at one time. Someone can donate $25, someone can donate $100, someone can donate $250. And when it gets up to 500 that's when we can make them an official angel and put their information on our website. But we'll continue to take their money, though, right? <laughs> okay. Yes, Dan, Thank If even after $500, George, we will I, still I continue to take their money. Thank you. This is Rosemary Facilla from Michigan, and I have a question. Um, do you do this each year, or is it, uh, you said there's a deadline, so is it only a certain time of the year that people No, we do it all year long, but the deadline uh, prior to the convention is April 30th, where we have to have all the information in. Yeah, you can do it next year if you, if you don't get all the information in uh, by April 30th. Okay, yeah, the so deadline like if we have somebody who we'd like to do that with after April, then they would just be held over till the next year. We would convention. do it next year. That's okay, that's what I wanted to know. Thank you. Thank you. Just a minute. I have two other questions here. Oh. Two more questions. Uh, go ahead, Nancy. What's the question? Just a second. Actually, um, this is Sandra from, well, in this case, I'm from D.C. because um, at our last meeting, D.C. Um, Council just um, passed a motion to make Marilyn Letter an angel as well. Oh, so great. the check should be in the mail um, this week. Thank you. Thank you so much, Sandra. Was that it? Yes. Okay. Thank you very much. And to, uh, to echo Charlie's sentiments, uh, Leslie and I were speaking earlier, and we're going to make at least a $100 donation in honor of Marlena, and we encourage others to do that. We want to get this angel confirmed before April 30th for yeah, Marlena. So yep. if, if anybody else, please see Denise or, or, or uh, uh, Nancy, and, uh, you know, boy, we've got to make that happen. Thank you. Mm. All you right. Next, we're hey, going to hear. Just a minute, Dan. Yes. I'm in the back of the room, and I will always take money today <laughs> or tomorrow. So just come back and see me. Yeah. I, luckily, I have a credit card that stays on file with Nancy. So. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's it's very useful. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I bet it is. <laughs> Next, we want to hear from our ACB treasurer, and in, in case we didn't say this earlier. David Trott does a fantastic job as our officer liaison for all of our RDC committees. So now we're going to introduce uh, David Trott to talk to us about the ACB uh, raffle drawing, Braille form raffle drawing. All right, David. You know, being in an age of political correctness just don't mm -hmm. fit an old boy from Alabama. So if I offend somebody today, remember, I plan to. <laughs> How many of you love the Braille Forum? How many of you love the expanded Braille Forum? Now it's time to offend some of you. You know, I just don't believe all y'all. And I'm going to tell you why. Our goal this year is to raise $20,000 for the Braille Forum. Can anybody out in the audience, not up here, right quick, tell me how many tickets we got to sell to raise $20,000? 400. Isn't that embarrassing, Braille Forum lovers, that you've never done that before? It is to me. Oh, let me ask you something if anybody's ever benefited. Is my buddy Brian Charlson in here? How about Lua? Do they love the Braille Forum raffle? All right. 
We got Dan Dillon, him and some friends uh, went together on a ticket or some chapters. They went together on a ticket. They didn't even have $50 in that ticket. Y'all love the Braille form, don't you, Dan? $5,000 worth. Oh, that's right, ACBGE. You know, it, it is a great opportunity to raise money. Why are we not doing it? You want me to tell you why? You're not getting off the dime, folks. You've got people in your chapter that may not. I know because I've got them in mind. And there was a time I was that person that couldn't afford but about $10, right? Well, there's five spots on that ticket. Five times 10 people, 50 bucks. It's that simple. Two times 25 people, that's 50 bucks. It's that simple. Not everybody has 50 bucks. But you owe it to your friends and fellow chapter members at home to take some of these tickets back home and give them the opportunity. Let's say that five of those people went on one ticket and we drew that ticket for the $5,000 first prize. That's $1,000 a piece for somebody that only put up 10 bucks. Hey, if they took in third prize, <laughs> that's $100 a piece, you know. So we really need to work at this a little better. I know that the two Dans and myself and Alan Peterson have worked diligently over the last, I know, 12 years or so to grow this thing. It's stagnant. Between, somewhere between 12 and $18,000 is the best we can do. And it's not our fault because we work at it. So like I said, I'm from Alabama. I'm not politically correct. Yeah, it's your fault. <laughs> now, I love y'all. I, I really do. I love you. I want... I want to be up here when we draw that ticket this year at the banquet and somebody that I offended today, I want you to win $5,000. <laughs> Even though I'm not impressed with you right now. You understand what I'm saying? Get off the dime, people. Five people, $10 each. Carry some tickets home. You can't sell them if you ain't got them. My goodness. We got all these board members yesterday. Each one of them took seven tickets. Some of them took more. You know, I know one boy took 10. I, I think he couldn't count to seven and just took what they give him. But, uh, <laughs> but he's a buddy of mine. He does the best he can. But I really want to tell you that uh, my, my buddy, Alan Peterson, who's been my partner in crime with this thing for a long time, and he didn't want to get up here and have me offend people with him by me because he's a politician. But <laughs> Alan agreed to let me raise his goal. Alan sells about 40 tickets a year. Well, now, folks, if we ain't sold 400 tickets in the past, actually, we ain't been selling three. Alan's selling over 10% of the tickets that we sell. So what does that tell you? Ain't none of us doing our job. So I offend myself because I ain't done it either. <laughs> but Alan allowed me to raise his goal this year. Alan's going for 50 tickets. And I challenge each one of y'all in this room to carry back at least five tickets to your chapter and don't let them lay on your dresser when you get home. Don't leave them in your suitcase and bring them back to me in July because I don't want them. I want the money, folks. Give me the money. Show me the money. And I promise you, we will show you $5,000. We will show you $1,000 or $500 to three of you. And it might be the three that I offended today. And if I offended all of you, then I've done my job. Please do yours. Thank you very much.
Get her done, David Trot. Get her done. David has got tickets and so does Nancy. See him in the hall. All right. Last but not least, I'd like to introduce, introduce to you our development director, Tom Tobin, who's going to talk about, if, if David didn't offend you enough, Tom wants your money after you're gone. So here's Tom to talk about plan giving. I don't know, guys. I'm not sure I can follow. I didn't realize, David, you were a stand-up comedian. That's pretty good. But, uh, and you're a tough act to follow, my friend. But anyway, just I'll start with a question. Uh, how many of you are aware that ACB now has an endowment fund? Clap your hands. Okay, how many are not aware that we have an endowment fund? Well, I don't think you're paying attention because that's not the whole roof. Anyway, um, in all seriousness, um, given ACB's ability over the past several years uh, to get more financially stable, um, actually last year at this time, the board uh, vigorously discussed and debated uh, an endow endowment policy and established the Legacy Endowment Fund a year ago today. So it's, I guess it's one year anniversary was officially yesterday at the board meeting. But anyway, there you go, that's better. Sorry, is that better? Yes. Okay, sorry, I kind of drifted away from it. It's really high. Um, so anyway, I think you guys all appreciate that, you know, what we've been talking about up here this afternoon are annual fund dollars that help operations and things like that. <clears throat> what I'm talking about are uh, future money, money that we're going to receive primarily through bequests or other types of planned gifts if, if and when we get there, um, but primarily through bequests. So um, we, um, with, this pro with this program, we have a, a set up policy set up right now where a portion of the bequests that come in go to the board reserve, so we make sure we have enough money to operate on a yearly basis, and the rest of the money goes into the, the uh, legacy endowment fund so that um, we can start and continue to grow that fund. And at some point, um, yet to be determined by our budget committee and David uh, Trout after he does a stand-up comedy, um, when we're actually going to start taking a draw, which will then also help operations for ACB. Um, so that is kind of where the endowment program start, stands today. Um, we've already received two bequests. It's, this is typical in my business. It's like as soon as you establish something, all kinds of activity starts to happen. So pretty much right after we established this fund last year, we received notification about two bequests. Um, one from a gentleman I was very humbled and honored to work with uh, that passed away, a gentleman by the name of Rode Schrader. Um, he's been given to ACB in a very generous way for many, many, many years. Um, when I first met him, um, as we got to know each other, he communicated to me that he, we were one of 12 charities um, that he was going to be leaving a bequest to. Um, so you think about what kind of estate he had. He gave, he, he will be uh, distributing from his estate a bequest to ACB of $600,000. So, um, yeah, so you can imagine what his estate was. Um, and then ironically enough, which happens more than you'd think in this line of business, and the business of fundraising, we received notification from a gentleman who was a uh, firefighter who we never had any relationship with, um, who no one, no one ever had uh, cultivated or stewarded the relationship, but he's leaving ACB over a million dollars in his estate. So. Um, if you think about it, ladies and gentlemen, our endowment, being only one year old, is going from zero dollars to over one million, pretty much at a blink of an eye. That's, I've never seen that before. That's pretty un uncanny. So I'm really excited about that. You guys should be really excited about that. This is the money that will perpetuate ACB's work 
long after most of us are gone in this room, and that's what it's intended to do. Uh, so I'm really proud of this organization for taking that bold step to create an endowment fund. It really will perpetuate uh, this organization's mission long into the future. So that's a legacy endowment fund program. I also would be remiss if I didn't mention our annual giving society program. Um, I hope you guys are all aware of it. We've been promoting it, and um, it's something that we try and do to encourage people to give and to give more over the years. And really, they were established um, back in 2014 to really do a better job of saying thank you to people that uh, give us money every year. So there are four tiers to that, and I'll just go over them quickly. The first one is the Leaders Society. And that's for individuals that give 250 to 999 per year. The next one is the Advocates Society, and that's for gifts of 1,000 to 2,499. The third is the Champion Society for gifts of 2,500 to 4,999. And of course, the President Society for 5,000 for donations of $5,000 or more. Now, I want to make the point, guys. Um, if you wanted to get into the leadership leader society, pardon me. Um, you could do that over a calendar year period. So it doesn't all have to happen at once. So if you wanted to get into Leader Society for a minimum gift of 250, you could make five gifts of 50 bucks, okay? So it doesn't all have to happen at the same time. Um, so maybe that'll make it a little easier for folks to, um, to do it. And I, again, I'll echo what Michael Garrett said. I think one of the greatest ways to give back to this organization is through MMS. Um, you put it on your credit card or your debit card and you forget about it and at the end of the year you say, oh, I did something really nice for ACB. So the last thing I want to mention, um, I realize this is a very personal thing, but it is part of our Legacy Endowment Program. Uh, in 2014, we also established the Legacy uh, Society. It's the top tier. You've got leader, advocate, champion, presidents, and then the top of that uh, giving pyramid, if you will, is the Legacy Society. And what that's intended to do is to recognize those of you who choose to. I realize that um, leaving ACB in your state is a very personal and private matter. Uh, but if you do, th do that and you communicate that to me, you will be added to the Legacy Society, given your permission to do so. So we will be able to say thank you to you while you're still alive. And that's really important to us. Um, we would love to say thank you while you're still on this planet and breathing. Um, so if you want to talk about it or you have any questions about how that works, um, you guys can reach me, uh, as they said earlier, at uh, ttobin at acb.org or my direct dial line is 202-559-2045. Um, I'd love to hear from you to talk about that and it will be strictly confidential. So with that, thanks so much. Thank you, Tom. And Dan Dillon and I, as co-chairs of the RDC, want to thank our committee. You heard them here today. Aren't they just an outstanding group of committee members? And most importantly, thanks to all of you. It's really our affiliates and our members that make the difference. Almost $300,000 raised this year for ACB. Thank you. All right. All right. Thank you, lady and gentlemen. Thank you very much. <laughs> thank you, thank yes, you. Um, James Edwards, um, I just want you and Art to be aware that Brian and I would like to pledge $100 to the John Dashney Angel Wall. Thank you. Um, Steve Mendelson, if you could make your way up to the front as quickly as possible, that would be great. Also, can the Zoom team get themselves organized to wherever they're presenting from, which might be over on the side. 
um, also as well. So we can move as efficiently as possible. All right, I ask Steve to, um, to present. Um, you may remember that last year somebody made some changes to the tax law, and it's supposed to benefit, yes, uh, it's supposed to benefit you in some way. I'm still scratching my head on that one, but um, Steve is the person who, who knows what we need to know as blind people as we go to take care of our taxes. What are the things we need to know about the tax law? He's written a book. I told him he could mention, well, a booklet. Um, he's updated some work he's done, but he's going to share with us some of the, the top things he thinks we need to know about the tax law. And he is also the president of Avia, as he said. So thank you, Steve, for being willing to uh, present. Thank you, Kim. Thank you for the opportunity of being here. Thank you all for listening. Uh, and I know I have to speak quickly because I have to zoom out of here at 4.15. I'll, be, I'll, begin, I'll begin, though, with my important professional motto, which is that I charge no fee and you get what you pay for. That, that, that being said, it is indeed the case that the uh, Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, so-called, of 2017, which came into effect for the returns that we're filing right now, uh, made wholesale changes, dramatic changes, in every aspect of the tax law. And of course, people with disabilities, people who are blind and who have low vision are affected much the same way that everyone else is by the broad provisions such as the lowering of the so-called marginal tax rates, such as by the increase, the doubling of the standard deduction, and by many other provisions. But what occurred to me was that there were, uh, while there would be a great deal of publicity around these provisions that affected everyone, there were also in the law provisions that would be specifically applicable, uniquely applicable, or disproportionately applicable to people with disabilities that wouldn't get much attention. So, like the proverbial pearl diver, I dove into the murky waters of the tax code in an effort to identify provisions that would be, uh, meet that description. And I found quite a number, and I boiled it down to six that I thought would be of maximum importance to people with disabilities, including, of course, uh, us as blind and low vision people. Well, I'll mention what these are. We won't have, unfortunately, a lot of time to talk about them in depth now, but at least I'll mention them. So if any of them apply to you or could apply to you, you can certainly make a point of bringing them to your accountant's or tax preparer's attention because they may not have noticed them either because, uh, you know, they say they are a little bit off the beaten track. First of all, if there's anyone here interested in the ABLE Act? Uh, wow, they sure are. Well. There are some important changes made in the ABLE Act this year. Uh, two that I want to mention uh, are number one, that it is now possible to transfer funds from a 529 college savings account 
to enable act for the same person or a family member. And always there are, you know, there's fine print, or in our case, fine braille, that you have to worry about uh, and how to do it, but it can, it can now be done for the first time. The most important change really, though, is that for the first time, the ABLE Act offers some benefit to working people. Uh, the problem with the ABLE Act has always been that the contributions had to come from family or other third parties, which is great if you had family members or other third parties, friends or whatever, who had the wherewithal to contribute, but if you didn't, you were out of luck. You could not contribute your own funds, uh, even though, of course, you were the person who was supposed to benefit. Well, now you can, to a certain degree, if you're a working person, and this only applies to wages, you can uh, contribute to your own ABLE account uh, some equal to the uh, federal poverty level for a single person, uh, which this year is $12,000 and $12,060, or your, or your net earnings from uh, employment, your taxable income, whichever is less. Uh, and uh, those will not count uh, as resources. The trouble is they didn't change the law enough to make those not count as income either. So you still have to find some way to have the, the leverage to do that. And most people won't have the leverage, unfortunately. So it's an incomplete provision. It's like so many provisions. It's been inartfully drafted uh, by people who didn't necessarily uh, understand the real lives of the people with disabilities, so they thought they were trying to help. Uh, we hope we can get that improved in, in coming years. Uh, but nevertheless, if it, it applies to you, if you have the means to make a contribution of that kind, if you're a working person and have an ABLE account, it's certainly worth doing. And it would mean that with uh, the other contributions that came from the routine family and third-party sources, you could potentially have an ABLE account, uh, a contribution of $27,000 in the course of a year. Uh, you you uh, also now are eligible um, to use the, reti the uh, retirement savings credit uh, uh, as a basis to offset the cost to you of your ABLE Act contribution. So, for example, if you were able to contribute $1,000 to your ABLE Act, you could, if your income as a joint filer, let's say, with $38,000 or less, uh, get a tax credit under the retirement savings uh, pr credit of $500. Uh, and that would, that would certainly help as well. Um, so that's something to bear in mind. Now, the next provision I want to talk about, which is also very important, is uh, the provision that helps people who are burdened with student debt. It is long, well, for a while it's been the case that people who became uh, officially totally and permanently disabled and who hence were deemed unable to work, we know that most people can work, but nevertheless, the law is the law right now, that people who were uh, totally and permanently disabled could obtain a discharge of their student debt, meaning that uh, they would be freed from the obligation to pay. But what they weren't freed from was the fact that the amount of that forgiveness was taxable. Is that amount of forgiveness was treated as income to the recipient. And that was such a burden that many people who were eligible for forgiveness chose not to seek it because they knew the tax they on the forgiveness was more than they pay every year for four or five or ten years into the future, and they couldn't afford that. Fortunately, that has been changed. Congress did change the law by the simple expedient of saying that uh, the, the, uh, the, the money that the people receive as a result of the forgiveness will no longer be treated as income, meaning it will not be taxable. Now, again, there are uh, a number of fine points here that have to be worked out. The procedures for doing this, because they will involve the Treasury Department, the Department of Education, who administers uh, student, uh, student loans, uh, and the Veterans Administration in the case of uh, veterans who are involved. And this is a very important provision for veterans who have student loans and who become disabled in the course of, of combat or other service to our nation. Uh, so uh, it's, it's very important to uh, watch 
how the technicalities of that will emerge. But again, know that in principle, it is currently already the case uh, and will help many people. The third one I want to talk about is something very interesting, but unfortunately very short-lived at the moment. And, uh, it is this. Congress actually created in the law, and nobody quite understands why, uh, but it's a wonderful thing. They created a Family and Medical Leave Act tax credit. Now, there's a tax credit for employers, of course, but it benefits us in the sense that uh, it allows employers who choose to pay wages to employees during periods of FMLA leave, it allows those employers, under certain circumstances, to take a tax credit to offset part of those wages. It doesn't force employers to pay wages. It doesn't require anyone to do so. But if an employer is willing to do so, chooses to do so, uh, then the cost of the employer, and therefore, hopefully, the willingness of the employer to grant Family and Medical Leave Act uh, leave uh, is increased. That seems to be the purpose of it, and that's a very laudable purpose. Uh, now, the key point to remember there is this, though. Uh, you have to have, well, two key points to remember here. First of all, right now, the provision is only good for 2018 and 2019. I think it's a demonstration project, but it's too short to demonstrate. I would like us to be advocating for its, I would like us to be advocating for its extension, because I think it's potentially very important. The second thing to remember is that uh, uh, it can only be used if the employer first files uh, a, 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 a um, written plan of how the provision is going to be implemented. And there are many, many requirements applying to that plan. But the key one to remember is that uh, you can lose, the employer can lose the benefit of the credit, even if the amount they pay or the person they pay it to and the terms they pay it under are correct, if the plan is not correct. So it's very important to get the plan right. And basically, if you get the plan right, what it involves is uh, the ability to take uh, for the employer, if they pay 50% or more of the person's regular salary, starting at 50%, uh, and of course it only lasts for 12 weeks, which is the period of FMLA leave. But if they pay 50%, then they get a 12.5% uh, credit for what they paid. If they pay up to 100%, uh, it goes up in increments. And if they pay 100% of the normal wage, then they get a full 25% credit. So that's very, that's very valuable. And that, uh, again, hopefully will help a lot of people by encouraging employers uh, not merely to grant family and medical leave, but also to, to, to ex exercise the option of paying people some or all their salaries while they're, while they're uh, uh, utilizing that leave. And that could be very important for a lot of us, as we know. Now, the next, the next provision I want to talk about uh, is a couple of provisions which are not new, which are modifications of existing provisions uh, and uh, might be of interest to some of us. Uh, some of us may have occasion uh, if we itemize, and of course itemizing grows harder now because the standard deduction has been doubled, and no one is going to itemize unless their itemized deductions are greater than the standard deduction. But with that standard deduction doubled, it becomes harder to reach that threshold. Nevertheless, if we have, for example, large assistive technology expenses, for example, uh, uh, items that uh, cost a great deal of money, like you know, uh, the like the uh, the Polaris that I just bought. Uh, I almost have to get a mortgage for it. Uh, uh, it's, a wonderful, it's a wonderful device, and it's, it's worth every penny, and I'm not being overcharged, but it is an expensive device, inherently so, uh, as are other technologies that we use. Uh, fortunately, I think over time, as more and more of our accessibility shifts to software, the capital costs of accessibility are going to come down. But nevertheless, they still remain high in many cases. So therefore, it's good to know that for 2017 and 2018, the change in the law which uh, as of this coming year, tw well, this current year, 2019, will uh, increase what's called the threshold 
for the medical expense deduction to 10% of his adjusted gross income. For 2017 and 2018, it was brought back down to the long-standing traditional level of 7.5%. Uh, and so if you were a person, and there probably aren't many, but there might be one or two people here. If you were a person who in 2017, or as you planned for 2018, uh, would have itemized, but for the fact that the 7.5% threshold no longer applied, you can go back for 2017, still file an amended return, and you can file, and you can file your return uh, for, the, for this year uh, and, uh, and uh, take, the, take the benefit of that, of that same provision. Uh, now, some people have actually asked me about the additional standard deduction, which, as you know, it's a provision that allows people who do take the standard deduction, who are either or blind and or over 65, to claim an additional standard deduction, and the amount depended upon whether you were a single filer or married or whether you had both age and blindness or, or, or just one or the other. Uh, but that wasn't changed. I didn't put it in the, in the, in the item because uh, it wasn't changed, but I should have noted that actually it was changed in one key respect. It, uh, again, small, but perhaps, perhaps relevant to some people. It will be indexed for inflation. Uh, so it will probably go up by, by a, percent, a percent or two uh, each year. And again, you know, every, uh, as we say in this world, uh, every, every penny counts. So I want people to know about, to know about that. Uh, I think that uh, another provision that I want to mention, which is uh, very obscure, very murky, and again, potentially important to a small number of people, but for those to whom it applies, it will be very important, is something called the Impairment-Related Work Expense Deduction, the IRWI. Now, most of us know uh, or ha have the misfortune of knowing about IRWIs from the standpoint of Social Security. Uh, uh, but IRWIs also exist under the tax law. And what they were was an itemized deduction that, un, uh, that allowed people, uh, uh, as the term suggests, to deduct the cost of impairment-related work expenses. And I won't go into what the definition of those were, was uh, or is. That definition is about as obscure as anything else in the tax law. Nevertheless, it is there. Now, everybody thought that that deduction was abolished by the new tax law because the new tax law abolished what were called miscellaneous itemized deductions. That would be uh, uniforms, um, uh, investment expenses, a uh, whole, whole raft of things. Uh, and uh, the, since they were uh, abolished, and since Irwies were a miscellaneous itemized deduction, everybody said, oh, well, too bad, the Irwies are gone, but, you know, easy come, easy go. Well, it turns out, though, if you look at the code carefully, and I don't even think many, many count of notices, if you look at the code carefully, <coughs> what they abolished were only that subclass of miscellaneous itemized deductions which were subject to what's called a 2% of AGI th threshold. That is to say, many, the most common, the most well-known of the miscellaneous itemized deductions, including most employee business expenses, were eligible for, okay, were eligible for deduction only to the extent that they exceeded 2% of one's adjusted gross income, assuming one was itemizing at all. Now, the Irwies were never subject to that 2%. There was an exception for the Irwies uh, under, um, Section 67 F, F and G, if anybody cares. Uh, and as a result of that, uh, since it, it's pretty clear from the language of the, new, of the new law that only the 2% threshold ones were abolished, it's my contention, and nobody has disagreed with me yet or refuted me, uh, it's my contention that the Irwies therefore still survive. So again, if, that, if you're one of the few people to whom that would apply and for whom it could make a real difference, it's something you want to talk to your accountant about 
and uh, make, make sure that uh, your accountant is taking that fully into account. And again, if you had any kind of major work-related expenses, that would be something you'd, you'd want to know about. Now, uh, there's uh, one very bad thing that I should mention. Uh, I'll talk very quickly. Uh, if you happen ever to be involved in a civil rights suit, if you're the victim of discrimination, for example, and uh, do get to the point of, of, of winning any damages, you're likely to be faced with a uh, draconian situation that your attorney's fees will be treated as taxable income to you. This has already pretty much destroyed consumer, consumer litigation, and I fear it's going to destroy a lot of disability rights litigation as well. Uh, I've been looking, and other people have been looking for ways around that. I haven't found one yet, but if I do, I'll certainly, you'll be the first to know. So the last thing I'd close with is remember that your accountant doesn't necessarily know much about disability and doesn't know much about you. And if you have a hidden disability or you have a family member with a hidden disability who the parent never meets or never really knows anything about, it's going to be up to you to identify all the possibilities that should be taken into consideration. Some will apply, some won't. But to the extent that you can direct the tax preparer's attention to them, it'll be very valuable. Now, uh, uh, I haven't had a chance to talk about any of the mainstream provisions. Uh, I'm, I'm here. If anybody wants to ask me a question, I'll do my best to answer them afterwards. Again, bearing in mind my motto, that you get what you pay for, and I charge no fee. Thank you very much. There it is. There we go. All right. Um, our, is the Zoom team ready? That sounds like it should be a kid show. Zoom team. Does sound like a kid show, doesn't it? All right. Yes, I'm turning ready. it over to the Zoom team. Very good. And you can introduce your team. I will do. Will do. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, we are always talking about how we can be in touch with our membership, how we can hold meetings, how we can uh, actually provide perhaps something like a webinar in order to educate our folks about things. Uh, if you're from a large state like California or uh, Illinois, something along those lines, it takes a lot for people to get to where the action is, so to speak. So many of us have taken on a product called Zoom Cloud Meeting. Zoom Cloud Meeting can cost you nothing. I always like things that are free. So you can use it on a limited basis, not time, I mean not, you know, you have to pay after 30 days or something, but you can do it on a limited basis for free. You can hold 40 minute long conference calls for zero dollars and zero cents to as many as a hundred participants during that, that call. Now, if you want to invest a little bit of money, you can, for about $14 a month, and this is not one of those uh, contracts where you have to sign up uh, a year in advance and those kind of things. You get charged by the month. If you actually pay a year in advance, it goes down to more like $12 a month on average. And then you can hold meetings up to 100 people uh, unlimited time, unlimited time. Several advantages to this scenario. One advantage is you can mute everybody. How nice would it be not to get to hear that person who is washing the dishes, <laughs> hushing the dog, 
snoring, these kinds of things. So when you have somebody who's doing a presentation, you can mute everybody. You can also mute individuals. You know who you are. You know that member that always falls asleep. So you can mute them. But it doesn't mean that they can't communicate with you. Because this product allows those individuals to raise their hand to be recognized. And the moderator of that particular meeting can say, I'm unmuting so-and-so. What do you have to say? This was incredibly valuable. When, Carla? During the AACB Christmas auction. Pardon me, holiday auction. Holiday auction. We had well over 100 people on at a time. Well over. Most of them called in, and I'm using the word called in or the phrase called in very generously here. We had more than 100 call in, but you did not hear any of that extraneous noise. Like what I'm hearing now, yes. Well, I think I know why that's happening because I haven't muted the other three participants in this meeting. Nonetheless, we have this resource available to us. A really great investment. Now, how do I prove my point? I'm sitting at a computer up here at the ACB radio table, and I'm interacting with this by way of this cordless microphone that Rick has put into the mixer and the mixer into my computer, and so the other participants can hear me. They each are in in a different way. So I'm going to introduce them one at a time and tell you about their experience from their side of this meeting that we're all engaged in right now. First, let me call on Larry Turnbull. Are you there, Larry? Yes, I am. Can you hear me? Now, this is another value of this software, by the way. There is, if you buy the pro version, not the free one, but the pro version, of bringing one person's volume down without bringing everybody's volume down, or one person's volume up without bringing everybody up. But in this particular case, I got Rick with the board, so I'm sure he just did something for me. So Larry, tell us how you're connected to this meeting. I'm connected uh, via PC running Windows 10. Um, I'm also, this computer is hooked into my studio setup here at home that I normally do my ACB radio shows on and do a lot of sound editing and stuff. So there is a mixer involved here. <clears throat> and this microphone that I am happen to be using has a switch on it. So usually when I'm not talking, I go ahead and just switch it off. So if any background noise happens here, you guys don't pick it up. There you go. So you're sitting in front of a Windows system. You're using your own screen reader. Uh, and you have the ability to communicate with us in a variety of ways. In fact, those who participate by computer have more options than those who do not. But not that many, or not that much less options. Jeff Bishop, are you online? Hello, Brian. Now, you're hearing a bit of echo because Jeff is toward the back of this room. He's talking to us on his iPhone. So, Jeff. Tell us how you connected into a meeting. All right. Uh, today I am connected by uh, my iPhone, and there's a couple of ways you can do that. You can either tap on a link 
that you'll get when the uh, Zoom invitation is sent to you. And you'll be allowed to open that up in the Zoom app. That's truly the best way to do that because you're going to be able to get the best audio experience if you're calling in on the iPhone. Now, you can, though, dial in, you know, uh, on the iPhone as well. And I'm sure that uh, our next guest will talk a little bit about that. But the one thing I want to point out with the iPhone doing it that way is that it will automatically enter the conference ID for you if you call the phone number itself. So if you do not have the Zoom app installed, then that would be another option for you. Great. So what this does for you then is give the ability for people who do have smartphones to utilize this software to come in and have a few more extras available. You know how we are in ACB. We are, our membership are not all computer users. They're not all iPhone or Android users. Some of them, you know, you wonder whether or not they do things with chisel and mallet and a slab of rock. Right? But most of our members have access to a telephone. Just a regular touch-tone telephone. And our third participant here is coming to us from her home. Say hello, Judy. Hello, Judy. <laughs> hello, Brian. Hey there. Um, this is Judy Dixon here, and I have called in from a landline, regular old landline telephone. And what I had to do to do this was to get the phone number and the nine-digit access code out of the email that I received. And I then just dialed it on my phone and it asked me to enter the ID and, and all was well. I can do things. I can raise my hand with star nine and I can put my hand down if my question gets answered before um, I'm recognized and with, by star nine it's a toggle. Or I can also mute myself with star six and I can unmute myself with star six. Alert, you are the host now. Alert, you are the host now. Uh, I think Jeff started up this meeting for me on utilizing his iPhone. By the way, you don't have to, if you're going to be the host, have to be the host from a computer. You can be a host from a smartphone and set this up. Now, what's going on, by the way, while we're having this little chat, is it's being recorded. Did you see me do anything to make that happen? No, I set it up as part of the attribute of this call. And it's being recorded and saved locally. Those of you who use iPhones know it's impossible on an iPhone to save a recording Hello, that is... Left the meeting. Jeff, what are you doing to me, big guy? Um, he's probably coming into the room and doesn't want to have, uh, have that feedback going on. Exactly. exactly, I hear him say at the back of the room. So. But keep in mind that this is being recorded and being stored on the local computer. On the other hand, if you started this up with an iPhone, where you can't save an audio recording uh, that's a telephony-type recording, it saves in the cloud for you. Now, when you download it, it converts it. When the, when the recording's done, it converts it into MP3 4 format. And you can choose to save it either 
just the audio. Did I mention this has a video component to it? You can all be on candid camera. It can look like, uh, what is that, magic squares up there? Uh, Hollywood squares, right? Where each participant is in their own little square up there. And when each person takes the microphone, if you will, then that person's picture gets bigger and in the center of the screen. This, this floats on people's boat, doesn't mind so much, but it also gives you the ability to share things visually, because not all of your members are totally blind. Let's remember there's low vision people out there who react better if there's a little bit of vision going on in these things. But uh, you, you can still turn off your individual camera, even if you have one on your laptop screen like I do here, uh, because you might be sitting in your wherewithals, you know, and uh, you really don't want to share that uh, indiscriminately. Uh, but all of that is possible. How much? Free, if you can do your meetings within 40 minutes, might give you a real reason to get people to stay on topic, right? Or only $14 a month to have unlimited use of this for up to 100 people. Now I said for the auction, we had more than 100 people because for a single event, you can pay a small price and increase the number of potential attendees. My friends from Oklahoma do a big session, do you not, uh, in September? And they could put it on Zoom cloud meeting. And a lot more people would be able to see what they have to offer in that regard. Mitch Pomerantz was on our meeting the other day, right, during the board meeting. We could have brought him in by Zoom cloud meeting and avoided that god-awful charge for putting a speakerphone into a hotel meeting room, plus the per-minute per charges. So there are some real financial advantages to considering using this. Now, those of you who are Windows users and use JAWS, there's a JAWS script that simplifies some of this. And Brian Harchin, who uh, has been involved in doing a lot of very fancy scripts over the years, has a for-purchase script that automates even more of this. But you don't have to have all of that at once. If you want to mute yourself, you do a Control-M. Excuse me, did that wrong, did I? Yes, I did. Alt-A, I blew it. Alt-A. It's turning on and off your audio. How do you turn on and off your video? Alt-V, hmm. Uh, to raise your hand, you do an Alt-Y. Now, why they did that, I don't know. Why not an Alt-H, who knows? Probably because it looks like a guy with both hands raised. Yeah, what do you know? Anyway, they are all very easily remembered shortcuts. And what those shortcuts are, are all in the software. This is cross-platform. If you're a Mac person, doesn't matter. If you're a Windows person, doesn't matter. Android, iOS, doesn't matter. Dial in with your uncle's touch-tone phone, doesn't matter. On the road, not on the road, doesn't matter. There's no technical reason why everybody can't be there. 
How many services do you know that are that way? And I have to tell you, Larry, how's the audio quality at your end? Auto, the audio quality is very good. And one other feature I'd like to point out uh, with Zoom uh, that I use with another job that I do with a company called SPR Consulting, we do web accessibility testing. And one of the options that Zoom has, and you'd have to be using a computer for this, it could be the Mac or the PC, <clears throat> and that is screen sharing. A lot of companies love to use screen sharing how many of you have tried using things like um, WebEx or GoToMeeting and have had nightmarish uh, accessibility issues with that? With Zoom, it actually is accessible. I've actually been able to share my screen without any interference with JAWS or NVDA because I use both of those screen readers on the PC to uh, do the web accessibility testing and they can see what I'm doing and I can carry on without any um, issues with, uh, you know, going into remote screens and things like that. And it also works well with uh, voiceover on the Mac. And I want you to also know, those of you who would like your affiliate to start recording interviews and things like that for posting as podcasts and the like, this is a podcaster's dream as a Main recording Main uses it all the time on ACB radio. Absolutely. All you have to do to do this is go to zoom.us. Zoom.us. Yes, I'm going to open it up to questions here. And uh, incidentally, it should be able to hear the question from wherever they come. If you have a question, raise your hand, and we'll try to get the second mic to you. Oops. Hey. Hey, Brian, Chris Gray. Go for it. Chris. Nice presentation to everybody. Um, give me a thumbnail about how you like to use it for podcasting. Remember, I said that it records, right? And that's wonderful. So you can create a spectacular interview without it sounding like the guy at the other end is calling in from Topeka, you know? <laughs> Pardon me, uh, my cans and friends, okay? <laughs> but you know what I mean. They sound like they're in the same room with you doing the interview. That's not all that easy to accomplish other ways. I also mentioned to you that you can control the volume at both ends. Well, you can actually get Zoom Cloud Meeting not to record one track with all voices in it. You can get Zoom Cloud Meeting to record each speaker as a separate track. And if you can use multi-track editing tools, you can accomplish an awful lot to clean up what would otherwise be a pretty messy job. Guys, um, um, uh, I've got the mic, Richard, so <laughs> anyways, uh, Brian, uh, question. And uh, by the way, Larry, you sound good from Springfield. Um, question to you, um, since Karen and I both chair committees, um, I've got a Zoom Pro account, but I want to give her the ability to host uh, meetings on Zoom. 
Um, and I added her as a user, it gave, but it gave her a basic account. So I don't know how we switch that over, how we can get so she's got the ability to, uh, to host, like for SASE meetings and things like that. You absolutely can do that. Let's talk offline about the, the specific steps required, okay. but it is not a difficult thing to accomplish. And by the way, if you're having a big meeting, you can divide the labor. Maybe you're going to be chairing this meeting and you don't have time to check out who's raising hands and lowering hands and whatever, okay? You can divide that up. If you have people who would benefit from captioning, this product has captioning capability. You just ask one of the attendees to take on that responsibility. You give them the ability to write that in and off you go. If you have a PowerPoint presentation you want to give, it, it does it that way that all the other applications do. That is, it's really sending a video image and therefore speech is going to speak it. But you can share the file to all of the computer folk who are on that call and they can access it that way. In addition, if you're doing a presentation of a PowerPoint presentation, you can assign somebody to write in a field on the screen while the PowerPoint is being done, what the what's on that so that it's spoken because it's in a text field. You with me? Okay. A lot of possibilities here, right? We're all struggling to provide service to our members between meetings. And here's an opportunity for ACB's affiliates to be a classroom online. Not to just the high-techie types, but to everybody. Any other questions? Yeah, Brian, this is Alice Richard. I want to be clear. So if, for example, let's say I'm the one that's um, conducting the meeting or watching, and I, you know, those pesky little people that are doing the dishes and the one that's snoring, and I mute them, and their hand goes up, is my screen reader going to be able to tell me that as a non-vision person? Yes. Thank you. Cool. And by the way, the, the mute everybody button is one of my favorites. <laughs> Alt M. <laughs> mute everybody but the host. Um, Brian, this is Sandra. Um, I have a question. How well does Zoom work? Like, let's say I'm here in the United States and I want to use Zoom, but I'd like some of my participants might be in Germany or Switzerland somewhere. Does that matter? absolutely will work. Now, got to be careful now. The farther away from 1-800 land, those who are calling in would have your regular land charges if they were doing that. Now, each, when you set up a meeting, you can indicate what countries you're going to have international participants in. And it will generate phone numbers for their country. So it won't be an international call for them to participate, but in-country charges might apply to them, okay? But otherwise, absolutely not a problem. And it also will generate notifications. You heard Judy and Larry and Jeff all say that they received an invite to this meeting. As the per person sending out the meeting notification, I can indicate who gets that notification. With that notification comes that 
PIN number, that nine-digit number that Judy was mentioning. Now, I used my personal PIN, okay? So that was the quickest way for me to do this demo. But I can create a unique PIN for each call. So you can send that out and then not worry that somebody's going to camp on that forever. You can set the time. In fact, Jeff set the time for this at 4.15 and you could not get in before that. Or you can set up a waiting room where people can come and communicate with one another. But when the meeting starts, everybody gets muted and the official meeting begins. Just think of all the opportunities. Again, the ability with computers always for me is, one, I wanted to talk. Two, I wanted to shut up. And the same thing's true with meetings that you're running, right? Just to Any other questions? Yeah, just to clarify, it, it, on piggybacking on Sanders' question, if they call, it, if international people are using their computers, that doesn't require correct uh, phone charges, right? No phone charges if you're doing it over the net. All right, let me That's let me ask you another question. Uh, last year at the convention, I had somebody. Uh, brought in, and I think Larry was using uh, Zoom, and we were charged a fee for doing that. Um, and, and, uh, and I was surprised because, uh, um, so anyway, uh, is, there, is there something that needs to be done with the computer in the hotel room um, to be able to run the meeting that requires charges from the hotel? I was using Zoom, and I don't know where that fee came from. I wasn't aware of that. You have to have, of course, at least wireless connectivity. Guess how we're doing this right now? Wireless. Doesn't sound so bad, does it? Oh, the other thing, Larry, how much latency is there? Um, that depends. I mean, I don't think there's a whole lot. I think it's pretty much all in real time unless you're on a connection that has what I call narrow bandwidth, um, where if you're sharing bandwidth with other guests or things like that, you could run into latency so issues. And so I, I listened to a presentation by Jonathan Mosen. Further with, away across with, the world. Yeah, he was in New Zealand and he was having a conversation with somebody in the Midwest, and the latency was half a second. Yeah. That's pretty amazing. That is pretty amazing. Other questions? Hello. I don't know if this is still available, but I guess you all know there's a book that Jonathan Mosen wrote. Yes, and in fact, that's how I learned how to use all of this yeah. stuff, quite honestly. I don't know whether that's still available Let's or not. Let's hear it for, it for is, Jonathan it Mosen. So if you go to Mosen, Mosen, Mosen Consultancy, Consultancy. <laughs> pardon me, just Mosen.org, pardon me, Mosen.org, then you can communicate with him and get a copy of that audio book. And it is pretty spectacular, as you I'm can sure imagine Jonathan does. Well, I think it is still available because it's yeah. an e-book e or an okay. audio set of audio files. Yeah. He's not doing new stuff now because guess who he works for? Ira. So he, he's plenty busy dealing with Ira right now. But still, it's, it's a pretty spectacular thing. And again, if you want those scripts, if you really want to take this to the next level, then you might consider contacting Brian Hartchen. And that is Hartchen Consultancy, right? Hartchen.org. 
Argent.org, yep. I go there to get other scripts or other... H-A-R-T-G-E-N dot yes. org. Okay? Well, Brian, thank you. Jeff, Judy, Larry, all of you, thank you so much for showing us how powerful this tool can be for our affiliates. So, uh, much appreciated. Thanks. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, I want to now recognize um, and turn the microphone over to Dan Spoon and Joel Snyder for a report from What's New with Audio Description and the Audio Description Project. There's been a lot going on, so, you know, settle down and listen because Joel talks fast. <laughs> Hello, everyone. <laughs> And we know we're the last thing between you and a wonderful dinner. So, uh, <laughs> but with that in mind, uh, it's this is a very special year for the audio description project. For uh, you know, Mitch Pomerantz, who we got to hear from yesterday during his presidency in 2009, I believe also from Chris Gray, who was the president before him that encouraged this whole development. We started the Audio Description Project. So this year is our 10th year anniversary for the Audio Description Project. And I just want to take you all on a little bit of a memory journey for Audio Description. Go a little closer, I've been told. Okay. Take you on a little bit of journey for the Audio Description Project and 10 years ago from where we are now. And I kind of like to equate it to my own personal life journey. Ten years ago, we, uh, you know, in our household, we had, we wanted to listen to audio description movies, right? There were none available. You couldn't watch anything on television. You couldn't go to the movies and hear audio description. Our Braille and Talking Book Library in Florida had a Friends of the Library Club that went out and got a $100 donation from 100 different members and went out and bought 125 VHS videotapes. Do you remember those? And every month, we would get a zipper package in our mailbox with two videos in it. And we would get a chance twice a month to put those in our VHS player and listen to videos that were made at least 10 years ago. And that was kind of our, of our media video experience. And then we had the ability to buy one. And Leslie bought Pretty Woman. And I think I saw Pretty Woman at least 25 times the first year we had it. Oh, no. Leslie, what's your favorite movie? <laughs> it's Pretty Woman. And so, and, and so that's, that's, that's where audio description was 10 years ago. And, that, and the journey, and look where we've come in 10 years. So at times we're frustrated with the progress that we make, but I think if you look back at where we were and where we are now, it's amazing. And it's due to the folks in this room, and it's due to the leadership of uh, first Chris and Mitch and Kim and Joel Snyder, and I'll give them all a Big round of applause. And Eric, Bridges, all the work we've done with the CVAA. So thank you to everybody. So with that said, I want to now turn it over to Joel Snyder and have him give you the update on 2018 going into 2019 for audio description. Here's Joel. All right. Thank you, sir. 
Thanks. Thanks, Dan. I appreciate it. Well, we have had a great 10 years, I think, and it really is. I'll just second some of what Dan said. It really is thanks to Chris and Mitch, and I understand he, Mitch uh, joined you all by phone. Already he's doing well, I hope, I hope. Good, 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 good. We all wish him a, a speedy recovery. But, uh, uh, yeah, Chris and Mitch. And then, you know, Mitch had the great idea to appoint one uh, Kim Charlson as the chair of our first audio description project steering committee. Kim, have you heard of Kim Charlson? you know the name? Yeah. And, you know, she really got us off and going, off and running with the thing. And then she ended up getting a promotion of some sort. Um, and so, so she got kicked upstairs, if you will. Uh, but she is still very actively involved with the audio description project. She's on every one of our conference calls, I think. I don't know how she does it. She's got the whole council to think about. But we ended up with Dan Spoon as our steering committee chair, who has been fantastic. He's turned that steering committee into created five or six some uh, subcommittees and gotten people to serve on them, and, and not just serve on them, I mean actively work on them in building up different parts of the audio description project. It's been, it really has worked well. And I have to also recognize all, always our uh, top-notch webmaster, Fred Brack, who has built our website into really the go-to repository of information on all things audio description. Uh, it, people reach it from all around the world to learn about audio description. So if you haven't, you need to do that. acb.org slash ADP. It's that simple. And uh, of course, you know that you can go there. I think the most visited page on our website is our DVD page. You can go to that DVD page, and now we list some over almost, no, I think it's over 2,000 DVDs that have description. Ten years ago, we didn't have that, you know? And not only can you find them, you click on it, it goes right to Amazon.com. You can purchase it, and guess what? ACB gets like a nickel for every uh, DVD you purchase. And I, 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 often, I oftentimes will say to Dan and, and others, you know, when you click through to that page, get your DVD, and then please buy a few refrigerators or something. Because um, I think we would get like a dollar then for each, each refrigerator, or maybe more. I don't, I don't really know, but we have had great conferences. We've had three or four conferences now. Um, we try and do that every two years, a major conference, bringing people from, in from all over the world. Uh, at a great gathering in St. Louis in 2018. And um, actress Marilee Talkington, legally blind actress, uh, gave a wonderful presentation. Uh, we had all kinds of wonderful sessions going on. And we're going to have some nice stuff uh, in Rochester. It'll be a smaller gathering and mostly focused on the specific concerns of uh, consumers of description, uh, but that will be important. Uh, we have, and of course, 2020, we'll have a full conference in Chicago. Uh, we give awards every year to uh, the, the audio description folks out there that are making real important achievements in museums and parks, in performing arts, in uh, television, in media, and film. Uh, we recognize uh, people in research and development with a Margaret Fansteel Memorial Achievement Award in audio description research and development. 
Uh, we recognize um, usually every um, a leader or um, uh, organization that is deserving of a career achievement award, the Barry Levine Memorial Award for Career Achievement. Last year, WGBH. Uh, we, we've gone a while without recognizing them with one of those awards, and, and they're richly deserved. Um, the, um, we, we've been doing all kinds of neat special projects in description. We've got one that will be finished this summer, an audio-described tour. Uh, this will be fun for you next February. Um, an audio-described tour of the insect zoo at the Smithsonian Institution, <laughs> National Museum of Natural History. You can <laughs> complete, complete with tactile elements. Uh, so unless you're a little squeamish, uh, you know, about... You know, we won't put the bugs on you or something, no, you know, but we'll have models and things. It, it's really a great idea. Um, so we've got those kinds of things going on. We've got a, a wonderful um, uh, project that um, we used to call it the Young Described Film Critic uh, Contest, and we came up with something a little catchier several years back, and Susan Glass does a great job of uh, leading that subcommittee, the, the Batty Awards. B yeah. B-A-D-I-E, Benefits of Audio Description in Education Contest. Every year we give awards to kids ages, uh, I think, 8 to 21 or something that um, they write reviews of audio described videos and films. We do this with the Described and Captioned Media Program in uh, South Carolina. They are great. They, they make sure ed educational video uh, around the country is described and captioned. And we run this contest, and we have had great success with it. We're getting, each year now, we're getting in donations to help fund the prizes that we give. We give our grand prize award winner an iPad mini. And um, we award the teachers with uh, Amazon gift cards as well. Uh, because um, they do a lot towards uh, helping build Braille literacy, but helping build literacy of video and film. Uh, with the thanks of description. And the kids really, they write reviews, they're really interesting analyses, if you will, of, of the description. Uh, they're really pretty aware, and I've been very impressed with that work. We've been doing um, some, some nice, uh, well, Dan mentioned uh, the CVAA, the 21st Century Communications and Video Accessibility Act. Uh, I, I dare say we would not have that law were it not for the American Council of the Blind. I, I really think that's true, and not to not to not, well, that's right. Eric Bridges, our own Eric Bridges, working hard on that, and and not to belittle the the work of the American Foundation for the Blind and others, um, uh, Paul Schrader and Mark Reichard and others like that, worked so hard. But we have it, and we're pushing now for. Is this right, Eric? V two C V A A V two that. <laughs> which, which we hope will expand the number of hours of description available on broadcast television. And I personally am really eager to see if we can't get it written into the law a, a, a bona fide increase, a guaranteed increase in those hours every year, which is what happened with captioning 40 years ago, and that's what should happen with description. Just a couple of other things we have, um, um, we're, we are developing, this is a neat effort, and this comes from, I think, Kim's leadership in understanding that 
You know, description's wonderful, but quality description is critical. I've heard a lot of bad description in my day, from different sources, and you know, um, that can turn people off and they don't come back. You know, and so in a way, <laughs> bad description is, no description rather is better than bad description, you, you might say. Um, well, we have developed a certification subcommittee and an effort that's now basically been turned over to the Academy for Certification of Vision, Rehabilitation, and Education Professionals. And we're working closely with them to develop over the next year or two a certification program. We'll begin with certification of audio describers. They, they are certified then as, as experts in the field. They, they meet best practices and also certification for audio description consumer consultants. Because I'll tell you, some of the best description happens when we have people working alongside describers, people who are blind, people who are knowledgeable about description and can advise about language, about what's most important to bring out. Um, it's really a critical field and pays money even too. Um, and this is, happens in media, it happens with museums, uh, et cetera. So um, that, we're really excited about that. Um, I will um, actually, let's see, let's see, let's see. I will, um, I want to mention, um, come back to our website uh, for just a second because we have two areas that I need your help with. Um, we have a great DVD listing. We have a listing. You can find out what's on television right now with description. That's great. We have a listing of performing arts centers uh, that are in each state that have description. And we have a separate listing of museums and parks in each state that have description. Except there are some states where we don't have any information. And that's unfortunate. And I'm, I don't wanna, I don't wanna uh, <laughs> point out anybody. So I won't point out anybody, but I'm gonna point out the states where we, where, where we don't have information on, for instance, performing arts. And I, I, I'm positive that in many of these states, there is description for theater and for dance and for opera and in performing arts centers, but we don't know about it. And can you, you're coming from all over the country, if you live in Alabama, Arkansas, Alaska, Delaware, Idaho, Louisiana, Maine, Mississippi, Montana, New Hampshire, New Mexico, Oklahoma, Rhode Island, South Carolina, South Dakota, Utah, West Virginia, or Wyoming. 18 states where we have no listing of performing arts activity with description. And we, I, I know that these states have something going on. It's hard for us to know here in Washington, but boy, with your help, we can get those listings updated. Museums and parks, we actually have 27 states with no listing. Here we go, Alaska, Arkansas, um, no, Arkansas, we do have something, I take it back. Uh, Alaska, Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Delaware, Georgia, Mississippi, Montana, Nebraska, Idaho, Iowa, Kentucky, New Hampshire, New Jersey, North Dakota, Louisiana, Maine, 
Maryland, Oklahoma, Oregon, Rhode Island, South Dakota, Utah, Vermont, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Um, again, there are museums there. There are parks that have description. Just, just send me a note, Snyder, S-N-Y-D-E-R, at acb.org, or go on our website and contact Fred Brack. Um, we need to hear about it, and we'll get those, those organizations listed. Um, I want to remind you all that tonight we're going to be showing Bird Box at 8 o'clock with description. I've never seen it. I certainly haven't heard the description, but that should be kind of, kind of a lot of talk about Bird Box. And you'll be at Bird Box even as the Oscars are being presented in Hollywood. And as Dan has mentioned, whoever wins the Best Picture Oscar, we know it's going to have description. It has description. And we're going to show it to you in July in Rochester, as we do every year. So um, with that, I will bid you adieu. I do want to mention um, that we have going on, uh, as we do every year, in conjunction with this meeting and at every um, uh, convention in July, an Audio Description Institute. We have 14 folks from four countries uh, <laughs> with us for three days spending three days in a darkened room with Joel. It's great fun. <laughs> learning, about, learning about audio description. They're, they're masochists or something, I don't know. And I, don't, I, I think some of them are coming, or they're, I don't know if they've gotten over here yet or not, but I wanted to mention them to you uh, because they're great. We have people from Australia, the UK, Canada, and of course from uh, I think seven or eight states around the US. They, they uh, uh, Dan came by and visited and gave us a wonderful little pep talk and encouragement because these are the folks that are going to be creating the audio description you'll be listening to over the next uh, many years. So thanks so much, folks. And we, here comes some of our people, actually. Thank you, Joyce. <laughs> oh, yes, thank you, of course. Kim, does anybody have any questions, any thoughts? I see Ray Campbell with his hand up. Does he need a microphone? Shout it up. Uh, who's got a, who's running a microphone? I'll run the microphone to you. How's that? Oh, here comes my crew of Audio Description Institute participants back there. Yay, yeah, big applause. Hey, yay. <laughs> Budding audio describers. Actually, some of them are already audio describers. Go ahead, Ray. Right. Describe them as they come in. Describe, describe them as they come in, yeah. Well, well, from all of us to all of you that are learning, Thank you. Thank you for bringing the visual to all of us. Uh, my, question, my question, Joel, is are we, and maybe in 2.0 we can do this, are we any closer to getting some description for live sports? One of the things that really ticks me off is when I'm watching a college basketball game and they assume everybody can see the score. And they don't tell you. Are, are we close to maybe getting that to happen at some point? Wow, that's a great question. And there are two issues uh, involved there. Um, and for some reason in the UK, the, these issues don't play because they have an excellent program in the UK for describing sports events, actually live in the stadium uh, for a great part. But here in this country, um, we have only one secondary audio program channel through which we get our description. That channel was there for Spanish translation, put there 20 years ago or something. 
you know? And now um, the convention has been that sports events offer Spanish translation. They do, so they don't offer description. What I want to have happen is in, in this day and age uh, of digital communication, why the hell don't we have two or three secondary audio program channels so you can choose description, you can choose Spanish translation, you could choose Spanish description, you could, wh whatever. There should be multiple uh, digital, uh, or rather secondary audio program channels, and, and hopefully that's going to happen. The other thing is that in this country, and I've heard this from a lot of folks who are description consumers, is that they just as soon listen to the radio. They, they go to a game or they have the game on television, they turn the volume down and listen to the radio broadcast because the radio play-by-play -play announcers are far better and more descriptive. So, you know, we'll see. Yeah, well, that's true. Radio feeds, yeah. Sandra, you, you have a question. Yeah. Um, <laughs> hello, Joel. How are you? I'm well. How are you? I'm good. Greetings from Francisco. Oh, yes, of course. Thank you. Um, actually, I would, international relations would really appreciate it if you would um, write an article for us. So could you please see me after? Absolutely. Thank you. I would be happy. In fact, one of the projects that we did this past year uh, Sandra, I think you probably know about this, but one of the projects we did was uh, a collaboration with the World Blind Union. We did up a survey in English, French, Spanish, and Portuguese, and I gotta thank Kelly Gask for her marvelous help on making that possible. We sent that out and we got responses from 70 countries where description is happening to one degree or another. Asked a lot of questions, got a lot of good information. So maybe I can mention that in the article. Carla, I think, has the microphone there. Yes, um, back to the sports issue. Oh, yeah. Um, when you watch a game on television, it's just useless chatter that goes on. <laughs> and if they just called the game, it would be audio described. <laughs> it's very true. In radio and television, one of the biggest problems for announcers and, and, and the, the people doing the hosting of a program is what's called dead air. And they don't like dead air, so they fill it with chatter. And it drives me crazy. Hello. Hello. Hi, I'm Sharon. And um, this is maybe a silly question that a lot of people know the answer to, but one of the reasons I don't do a lot of DVD um, listening with audio description is because I can't seem to find a player that can get you to the right channel. Yeah, yeah. Uh, do you have any ideas on that? Well, I'll tell you, on our website, acb.org slash ADP, if you tab to the DVD uh, page, not only do you have all those listings of DVDs with description, we do try to some, provide some general information on how to get the audio description turned on. I say general because every remote control is different. Every satellite provider is different. Cable, uh, uh, cable folks, the uh, dish providers, etc. And so it's a little tricky, but there are some tricks that you can follow to try to turn the damn thing on without sighted assistance. And, and check that page. Um, I think that should be, be helpful to you. Hello, Joel. It's Leslie. Spoon. Yes, Leslie. How, How are you? Thank you for all that you do in our household. We really appreciate it. 
<laughs> um, so I just wanted to ask you tonight, is the Oscars, and I am a big, big movie fan, as Dan said earlier. Yeah. So when can the Oscars be audio described? I don't have to call my mother in Las Vegas and ask her to describe for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that's a great point, and they should be described. And more and more, um, it's slow, but more and more uh, live events are having live extemporaneous description. As you know, we've sponsored description for the last three inaugurations, presidential inaugurations on ABC. Um, uh, it's also been on PBS. Uh, we've lately been doing description of Microsoft's inside Xbox uh, events that are, you know, big conventions for gamers. And by the way, I'm trying to talk Microsoft into thinking more about Xbox games having description as well. But those live events like the Oscars, like, you know, what, what about like the Grammys. the Grammys, awards programs, John McCain's funeral had all kinds of amazing visual elements that were lost to people. And those live events should be described. Uh, speaking of the Oscars, Leslie, if you're on our audio description listserv, just this morning, I sent out an article that uh, is from a UK website that I, I couldn't believe it. This woman wrote this long article basically saying, when the heck are the Oscars, when are there going to be Oscars for audio description? Yeah. I loved it. I loved it. You know? And, and I think that's going to happen. You know, some may not know their history of audio description, but some 15, 20 years ago, four Emmys, television's Oscars, were awarded in recognition of audio description to the Metropolitan Washington Ear, to WGBH, to Narrative Television Network, and to Audiovision Institute in San Francisco. So there's some precedent, if you will. Yes, is that Marie? Yes, it yeah. is. Hey, um, Marie, ACB of Virginia. I'm a big fan of binge watching. So <laughs> I'm gonna give you an example. Chrono Minds is on Netflix only up to season seven. Okay. I think that's because the different like stations like NBC and CBS, you can watch the shows from there. The unfortunate thing, Chrono Minds on the CBS app, yeah. where's the audio description? Oh boy, yeah. So it, it needs to be translated to the apps it's, you know, as well. Yep, and we know that, and we are tracking now streaming services on our website uh, and where the description is or isn't, if you will, and trying to encourage all the networks, because Netflix does it, iTunes does it, um, you, you know, it's not difficult. To, I, I'm sure some of the networks, is ABC doing that's it, yeah. CBS could be doing it too. You know, there's no reason why not, and that's just something else that we kind of lobby for. But you know what, I I'll tell you, I can talk till I'm blue in the face, but I'm a, I'm a dumb-sided guy, you know? And they don't listen to me. They figure, oh, he's trying to drum up audio description business. Well, they need to hear from consumers of description. It's like, damn it, we're paying for cable, we're paying for this, but we're not, it's not accessible to us. So you got to have description. Right. You know? Yes, sir. Um, it's Corey from Mass. Uh, two things. Uh, one little thing I thought of as well is with Comcast, when you fast forward through the description, through um, something that's taped, you don't know when you're going to be at the show. Right. Way of knowing. And number two, Sharon, there is an accessible DVD player out there. It's made by Samsung. It's like $30. I'll find it and dig it up and send it to you. That's great. Yes, that's right. 
That's a great point. Great point. Good. Let's see. Jim said we need to wind it up pretty We're going to wind up in a minute. Okay. One or two more. Okay. Okay. Um, so um, I'm getting ready to switch over to Swoop, and I know there's no audio description on there. Yeah. So what's going on with uh, services like Swoop and DirecTV Now and things like that? Yeah, it's same same idea there. Uh, that w they're they're multiplying. These streaming services are multiplying because the handwriting is on the wall. Cable's going away. You know, ultimately, sort of like VHS did. It's going to take a little longer, but uh, streaming is the way of the future, if you will. So we're we're trying to keep track of all the different services. Um, you know, I'll tell you something. Netflix is big on description. They wouldn't have been doing any description were it not for Kim Charlson, Eric Bridges, and the ACB. Is that right? I mean, that's true. That's true. And, and next up is Hulu. Oh. Yeah. Okay, here's our last one. Chris Gray. Hey, Joel, great job. Thank you, sir. I got to say this to, to you and to everybody. Uh, I got a Fire TV. I couldn't get the audio description to work. And I thought it was about what was described and what wasn't. So ah. I called Amazon and I said, tell me the best source to know what is described on Amazon and what isn't. The guy didn't bat an eye, he said, acb.org slash ADP. Isn't that great? God bless him. God bless him. You know, something else that we're, we're playing with, too, is have, it may cost a couple of bucks, but we want to get an app developed so that I can, or anybody, can sit at home and say, Alexa, what's on, audio, what's on with audio description right now? You know? And, and it ought to... I mean, obviously, it's gonna, Alexa's got to tell you what Amazon programs have audio description. I want to know what all television programs have description, and Alexa should be able to do that, and we're working on that. Thank you, everybody. I had to wrestle my mic back from Joel, or else I wouldn't get to say anything. I know it. All right. I mean, there's so much going on with audio description, and it is exciting, and there's a lot more to do, and we've got to figure out some ways to make it happen. I just told Eric, I said, we've got to get CVAA 2.0 to happen because we're going to get left in the dust. These streaming services are coming out faster than new cars. You know, every time you turn around, there's a new streaming service. I didn't even know about Swoop. I mean... Sling, I knew about that one, but boop. So, you know, you're not going to get description on some of those. And we can't do them one at a time. We are entering structured negotiation with HBO. So that's the next one that we're tackling. But one at a time, we're going to be really old people before we get them all done. So the only way to do this is with some kind of legislation so that streaming is covered. So, you know, we'll keep you posted. It's on Eric's uh, to-do list, my to-do list, which I nag Eric about. So, <laughs> uh, we'll get there. We're going to get there, but it's, you know, we'll keep you posted on it. So, I, I really, it's been a long day. You guys have been super this afternoon. Um, at least you got a brownie and some soda. 
Um, no break, but you know, we, we got there and we're ending on time because Joel talks like twice as fast as anybody I know. So, you know, we got it done. So um, it's, it's great. We had a lot of information. I hope you found it valuable and um, have a good evening. Come to the movie if you don't have anything else to do in um, Madison North, I think is where it's going to be. There'll be some describers in there. A few of you are going to be in there. And we'll see you tomorrow morning in this room for our legislative seminar. So have a good evening.